Mama. Mama. We made it. What it, what it, what it do though? Wow. What it do? What it really do? What it do? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mama We Made It podcast. Woo. We had to scare into submission our guest today. <laughs> I'm, my mind is blown. I um, love it. You know what I'm saying? Just had to hit her with the one, two, what it do. That was everyth- everything. <laughs> I'm very excited to be sitting down at this dining room table as we do. We have an incredibly special guest. It's your boy, Uncle Nushi. Uncle Roushi in the is building. in the building. And we have the incredibly special a million Hamilton in the building. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Now, let, me just, let me just start off by saying this. Yes. This is, you know how I know this is extremely special is because our brother, Uri Hall, connected mm-hmm. us. That's amazing. He hit me on the text. He's like, yo, bro, I want to, like, I would love to introduce you to a million. Um, incredibly special human being. Like, I think she'd be incredible for the podcast. Mm. And when it comes from Uri, it's, let's get it. There's just no more to be said. You know what I mean? And it's an absolute honor to have you here with us. Oh my God, thank you so and much. I'm so excited yes. to have you on. Shout out to her event that she just had, yeah. Sisters with Invoices. Yeah. You know what oh I'm saying? God. Shout out to all the sisters <laughs> with the invoices. Yes. Shout you feel me? Out Crazy. Invoices. Greatest name ever, too. Greatest name ever. Oh, We're yeah. going to get into that way, yeah. way, 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 way later. Yeah, but wanted to let you know now. But wanted to let you know now. Yeah, exactly. Um... My dear, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. Oh my gosh, thank you both for having me. This, this is it. an honor. Shout out to Erie. Yeah, what yeah. it do? Yeah. My brother from another. You know what I'm saying? He's a little darker skin than I am, but we got the caramel <laughs> complexion. And we got, you know what I'm saying? Dark chocolate. The dark chocolate. <laughs> mm-hmm. We got the chocolate. I feel it. It's um, all it's all chocolate. It's white chocolate over here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah from that we hair photo. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> my dear, so... Yes. I want to start out and just ask you, in your creative being right now, what do you elaborate on your creative entity? So I am, I'm definitely multidisciplinary. Um, my main, my main folk, my main thing is styling. I'm a wardrobe stylist by trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, a visual artist, performance. I do performance. I do installation. I paint Incredible. as well. Um, and I am, I do creative Um I, I have ideas like that was my idea. Um, Sisters with invoices. I have many ideas. I buy lots of Google domains. Um, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And um, yeah, I design. I would say I'm. A, I would call myself definitely a sartorialist as well. Awesome. In terms okay. of like where using where to express uh, myself creatively, and um, yeah, it's it's gotten me to where I am today. That's you know? incredible. Awesome. Yeah. Now I want to I want to take it all the way back to when you came swimming out the womb just. Swinging through this. <laughs> uh, where were you born? I was I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Anchorage, wow. Alaska. I, I always wonder yeah. what it's like living in Alaska. Really? It's like this. Just what time is it right now? Like it's eight forty three. It looks like this when you wake up. And no way. In the winter, and it generally starts to turn this dark. Like when we were leaving school, like around like five ish. It's it just starts getting pitch. Was your childhood in Alaska? 
my whole childhood, I was born in a in a native hospital because my mom didn't. My parents didn't have money. Okay. Um, my mom is from Tokyo, Japan, mm. and my dad is from like, deep East Oakland, and he's black. Um, and a lot of people ask me, "What? What are you?" I'm like, I'm black, like descendants of of slaves. So, from Louisiana, born and uh, and raised in Oakland. Mm. Uh, so yeah, they met they met in Alaska. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what was what was your childhood like? Wow. Yeah, I had a really interesting childhood. Like maybe at the time I didn't, I didn't know, you know, because I had this. It was just what it was, you know. Yeah, uh, for sure. So essentially, my mom, my my grand, my mother was brought to Alaska because my grandfather, uh, he made a movie called. Uh, my grandfather used to work for Toho Studios. Okay. On my Japanese side, mm. uh, Kashiro Uchiyama. My middle name is Kashiro, and I'm I go by a million Kashiro. Gotcha. Um, that, that's my grandfather's name. Awesome. Um, so he made movies. He did like Rat Pack movies with like Frank Sinatra. Oh like, wow. Um, he um, he did a lot of films as a producer, and um, my mom grew up really wealthy. She mm. grew up in Azabu district, and um. So he made a movie called Alaska Motonari, which was his own project. And it was about this like Japanese couple that decide to leave Tokyo and go and live off the land and everything goes wrong. Uh, and I found one clip for it and it was really crazy. And my grandpa was nuts. Like, it was, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, I was like, I kind of see where it comes from. I'm sorry. Um, but, um, they were like, she was giving birth. They were in an igloo. They're wearing like native clothes, like, 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 uh, parkas. There, the igloo catches on fire, and there's wolves attacking the igloo, coming into no the igloo, way. and he's beating the, the wolves off with oh like fire God. sticks while she's giving birth. Oh. At the same time, that was the only clip I ever saw of that movie. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, oh that's what my grandpa did." Um, <laughs> that, def- that, that explains everything. That explains yeah. everything. So. My mom came to Alaska as like a foreign exchange student mm. and the plan was for her to go back to Alaska. I mean, to Japan, to yeah. Tokyo, to work in family business. Um, to He had plans for her. And she's only, she has one other sister. It's just her and one sister. And my father was brought to Alaska because, um, so he went to Castlemont High. I don't know if you know about Castlemont. No. Castlemont's like deep east high school. Um, it, it was... It was probably a lot more rough than it was now, but in Oakland, in Oakland, Got yeah, it. East Oakland, yeah. So my dad's from like 82nd International area, and my grandmother still lives in the same apartment that she brought my dad up in, and I, she's, I'm very close to her. Yeah. Um, and so when my dad graduated, he had two homies that he rolled with. He told me the story like probably like late last year, and um, we had an uncle Charles called Crazy Uncle Charles. Because, you know, in black families, a lot of people have mental illness and you just called them crazy. You didn't get treatment. Mm -hmm. But he would do off the cuff things that were actually like kind of like angelic, I felt like. So he just got in a car one day and this and, and my grandma would tell me stories of how people would just show up. Like, you know, this is before cell phones and stuff. For sure. My uncle showed up after my dad's graduation and was like, you're going to go with me to Alaska. We're going to Alaska. And he was like, all right. And they jumped in the car and drove up to Alaska. And my grandfather was already there. And he had started, um, he was like considered one of the, uh, he was a millionaire at one point um, back in back in the day. Um, he had gas stations after coming out of the Army World War II. Mm-hmm. 
in Alaska. He had started a new family. Yeah. So, but they drove up to Alaska because my dad wanted a relationship with his dad that he never had. Oh, wow. Because he was raised by his grandparents and my grandmother. Gotcha. And within three months, both of my dad's friends were murdered. After in Alaska? Were, in Oakland. Oh, no. As yeah. he was in Alaska. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Those, like, he ruled really tight with those guys. So he told me that story and I thought that was just really crazy. And it was like he was meant to be in Alaska. Oh, wow, man. Yeah. So they. And he, that's crazy also to just hear that story recently. Mm-hmm. Like for the first time now in processing it, not knowing that about your father. Yeah. Um, all this time that's kind of cool yeah thank you my dad is so cool like his name is leonard and we're really close shout Everyone, out to leonard yeah shout out to lenny cool ass lenny cool that's ass what lenny what him. it do cooler what up, lenny? <laughs> yeah cool <laughs> ass lenny what up lenny you know dad be having a cigarette out his mouth and he'll be talking some, some I love shit it. out we, the other we'd side be, we'd be best right. friends yeah you would <laughs> you would tell. you would be bffs already um so yeah so my dad went um then he went to a school called alaska pacific university he had a, like a scholarship, but he also would um, pay his way through school. He started he started working fishing boats, and he's like dark skin, black man, and and my dad would go make money, canning fish and and fishing um, f- to pay his tuition. And he told me stories. He lived in really crazy hostile type environments, like of hostels with like a whole bunch. Of, you know, in Alaska, a lot of people come up there um, to hide and 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 make make money off of uh, blue collar work. There's a lot of really crazy uh, people <laughs> in That's Alaska, a lot of people insane. that run away from things oh, and, wow. and do things. And I remember he, he lived in, a, in not like the most desirable part. And he told me about how he was doing that and like, you know, fishing and, and but he also loved nature and he was kind of called a weirdo that my dad would go camping and he would do tricks for with cigarettes to for free drinks out in the nowhere Alaska back in the early 80s, Wild. late 70s. And um, he was pretty fearless guy. And um, yeah, I love him. Like he's he's taught me how to be really fearless and you have to be really fearless to live in a place like Alaska. For sure. Um, and especially he was the, he. Ha- so so essentially what happened was. My mom was at APU, Alaska Pacific University, and she was, uh, you know, exchange student. And apparently this is the story of how they met was that my mom was, she's crazy fearless too. Like she's just, you know, she would walk at this time of night by herself from the library to class. And mind you, you don't want to do that. Like if you get kidnapped in Alaska, you're, you're done. Like, and that mm, happens quite often. Really? There's a lot of predators. There's a lot of pe- predators. Um, and then you can get, yeah, like if you look it up, if you you can get taken and like, like really where like you can be taken anywhere. Um, That's insane. Yeah, it's really crazy. There's a lot of. I mean, when I was a child, like there was always buzz about who's a molester, who who oh somebody God. this something happened to this person, this janitor was really? doing that, this teacher was doing that. Like there was a lot of. As a young person, we I always felt paranoid of that. I always had to protect my sisters from predators and my father always told me i had to do that and that was a responsibility i had three sisters so my dad was not only had to be fearless because he had a japanese wife that her english you know and that he was protecting but also four daughters Wow. and so anyways my mom was walking and my dad like saw her and was like where are you going you know and he'd always have like a beater car like (laughs) like whip and she was like i'm going to library and he was like okay uh, what and get don't don't you don't need to walk like this you know and he would take her and he'd ask her what time she was done and he would wait for her 
And then he would pick her up and then take her home. Mm. And then he would continue to do that. And then he would see her in the cafeteria and he had a homie that had the hookup. So he would bring her a big giant tray of Mm. Uh, more food than she can eat. I yeah. love it. Play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. Yes. yes. <laughs> cool so ass had, Lenny. Yeah, Lenny had for the win. Get it, Lenny. Get it, Lenny. <laughs> right. And I was like, I see you, Dad. So yeah, so they dated for four years. They dated for four years, and my mom got pregnant with me in the last year. And my dad was pre-law. He was going to go to law school, and um, both of them had really. Um, dysfunctional relationships with their parents. My mm-hmm. grandfather was, you know, love him. He's like, I, I'm not saying this out of disrespect him, but he, you know, went to my my um, my mother and was like, you know, he's he, he's going to go to school, so you need to figure this out, you know. And my mom was like, you're not going to leave me, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because he had plans. I think he was going to go to UC Santa Barbara or somewhere to continue. And my mom, my grandfather was telling my mom to abort me and mm-hmm. not to have me. And that if she decided to have me, that she couldn't be a part of the family. And it was just this really like thing that happened that. And then in the end, they and they stayed together. But my dad didn't go to school. And my dad wanted to go to the military. My grandpa was like, I don't think that's a good idea either. And my dad would just listen to him, you know. Um, And my grandpa was a really successful businessman. Like, you know, he was he was moving full, complete buildings on ice. Wow. Um, and back in the late 80s and se- late 70s and 80s. Um, and there was this like culture in Alaska of like white men that really know how to like flip the system and do things to really leverage you and like disproportionate you. And that happened to my grandfather. And mm. like it was a Leo Reed and Sons. And my grandpa was really ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, so it was like a family business and my dad would help. My uncles would help. I mean, my grandpa was so brilliant. Like I actually have the articles because I started writing about it. And mind you too, my grandpa would see my mom walking and would pull over and be like, Yoko, you can't be doing this. <laughs> like, oh, you know, because crazy. she's just so stubborn yeah. and he would like pick her up from a meeting and be like, Yoko, stop doing this. <laughs> and, like, like give her a ride, you know? Oh, and, man. um, yeah. So my grandpa, he, um, he was, he was just so sharp. He was such a hustler. One day he, um, was asked to demolish a building on the land because they were going to build, actually, it's like, I think it's like the courthouse, where the courthouse is right now in Alaska, mm-hmm. in Anchorage. Um, so his idea was, well, I don't want to ruin a perfectly good building. What I'm going to do is pick the building up. I bought a plot of land over here. I'm going to move that building to this plot of land. Then I have a building on this land that I don't have to pay for. And I demolished the land. He did it on ice, like with these gigantic cat That's trailers. Yeah, drug the building over there, and somehow, yeah. <laughs> bro, it's a different kind of life. Yeah, yeah. But also to think of that, yeah, on ice, on ice. Yeah, they called him the Ice Man in high school. I feel you, of course, of course <laughs> right, <'Cause>, bro. <laughs> yeah. the Ice Man. Yes, like yeah. for real. It's kind of weird, right? Yo. Like, because my great grandfather delivered ice, and he would help him like jump out and pull the ice. And my my grandma was like, they called him the Ice Man. Wow. Um, so yeah, so anyways, he got leveraged so hard out of that, that the cousin of like the, uh, somebody who was part of like the house of association of housing ended up somehow getting that building off my grandfather. Wow. Getting the land. He was, it, it like devastated him financially. He did Mm. all that work and he was just, just snatched, you know, and then they tried to ruin my grandfather in a lot of ways too, because he wasn't a traditional businessman. Like what he was doing back then was what we are doing now, which is 
but like my grandpa wanted called the home his office my grandpa had a cord that was like 50 feet long that he would answer the phone you bring the phone to him and he'd be coaching my uncle how to play basketball mm. and you know and my uncle was like he was one of the best he's like his jersey's retired he's one of the best he was one named sports illustrator one of 50 best athletes of all time. Wow. Um, at one point, and um, he went to the Montana Grizzlies, but he got but hurt. But my grandpa, like, 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 finessed that. And he was still running his business and um, the way he wanted to run it. He wanted to be home, you mm-hmm. know, and they called him all types of things. And, and a cheat, Leo Reed, that's my grandfather. Um, but he wasn't. He, he was a great man. Like, he was a really great man. Like, he Incredible. was. Incredible. Yeah, he always had, always had like new young boys in my school that knew my grandpa before they, they were like, I know your grandpa. Mm. Like, you know, and he, they would, he would have him working, like pushing old cars around because he always had like 50 old ass cars that don't work yeah. <laughs> like, on the lawn, you know, like that was my, my black grandpa. So essentially, um, my, my parents, you know, though they had this, this situation with me coming into the world, my grandparents still, my grandpa still was a part of our life to a degree. Like mm-hmm. my grandpa, he came one time to visit with my grandmother and my grandmother was so beautiful and lovely and she didn't have a problem with the fact that I was half black, you know? And then, um, and my aunt, and my uncle and, um, <coughs> and my grandfather we were really close. Um, so my grandfather came one time and that was the only time I've ever seen him. My grandpa, my Japanese grandfather, mm-hmm. Kashiro. Um, so what ended up happening was it just kind of felt like our family was our own island. Um, we were really extremely dependent on each other. Mm-hmm. And I was, I had a lot of responsibility as a child. So from kindergarten, I was changing diapers, you know, and watching my sisters and feeding my sisters and um, going to school. And I was an advanced kid. I was in gifted programs yeah. and um, I, I was able to read at a, they tried to skip me from kindergarten to uh, fifth or sixth grade. Fifth or sixth. Yeah. And because of my reading levels and my comprehension, because I could read books as a child. And I spoke Japanese too, but I don't speak it anymore. Mm. Um, but my comprehension, I, I could read and comprehend and, and like tell, I understood what I was reading. Wow. In kindergarten, I'm still figuring out like if I'm right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, am I right handed or left handed? <laughs> like, like, For real? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Like <laughs> my ABCs on Smash one time <laughs> in kindergarten. I remember the the teacher yeah. like she asked a question for you know uh, she would pick on you and you have to say when your birthday was and then you could mm-hmm. go to recess and it came to me and in my mind I didn't know the difference between like my birthday and my party. <laughs> <laughs> That's the cutest thing I've and ever. I, and I was just like I was like. I, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I had to wait last one out to recess. So while she's going into f- like fifth and sixth grade, I'm like figuring out like, all right, is a there's the party, and then there's, there's the, the birthday, <laughs> like the day of birth. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Um, it, it's interesting for you though, like to mm-hmm. to come into this world with such a already history in a place like Alaska. Yeah, um, that you you kind of already have um, an identity. With, that's beyond your control, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's really rare. You find that, you know, in, in a place like so different from L.A. or, or any kind of even um, maybe bigger city where, sure, there's you, maybe your parents grew up there, but in a city like L.A., nothing like that even matters. Like it's like, you know, you're you're an individual out the gate. 
for right. sure. But for you to have like even kids at school, like, oh yeah, I know your grandfather, and like to have that history already kind of um, immerses you before you even have a chance to get into it yourself. Yeah. As a kid, did you like feel that at all? Aside from just people knowing, but like in terms of you and your identity that you're <coughs> building, because it sounds like you have all this responsibility plus. <laughs> you know, this family, deep family history and Mm -hmm. this very connected family. Mm -hmm. And maybe this came later, but did you ever battle with kind of who you were actually becoming? Yeah, to a degree, because I thought when my mom was telling me about her past life and my grandpa, it almost sounded like a fairy tale because we were so poor. And I was like, I almost didn't believe her. I mean, I I believed her, but but it was hard to believe because I was like, well... He did what? He did that. And then, you know, I mean, I knew my grand my my grandfather Leo. Um, and you know, everybody knew my grandfather in mm-hmm. the community. Um, but I mostly more so grappled with my identity in terms of like being black and Japanese. Mm, interesting. And and then I'm in I'm in Alaska and I'm in a space where there's not a lot of I didn't and it was before the internet and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know other people that look like me really um my mom had japanese friends and some of them when i i did have a a half japanese and um congolese friend that was my dad's friend and then my mom was friends with her mom who's japanese Mm. and we're actually cool on facebook now like she's like a lawyer and she's really brilliant and then i had another friend who was half japanese and white and she lived and it was interesting if you're japanese and white how you're received in japan like her family brought him in with loving arms but when you're japanese and black you're considered kind of just mm. trash, I guess. Mm. Mm. I mean, and I've read these stories about a lot of Japanese and black, like there's like, like these secret children of, um, in Africa that there was like an oil refinery that brought a lot of Japanese in and there were, um, and there was, it was, um, they were secretly killing the, the, they were sleeping with the prostitutes, the black Japanese men that with the African prostitutes and they were having black and Japanese, Japanese and African children and they were secretly injecting the children in hospital creating like uh, emphasize and killing the, the Japanese and black children oh um, because the fear of these men going back with their wives have of having these kids out of wedlock oh wow that's disgusting yeah yeah and then yeah and I've read um there's um, a friend Walter um she was, he wrote a story called Jackie and June, which is such a beautiful story. Um, I think he wrote it for, I don't know if it was for the New York Times, but it's, it's a beautiful story about a woman who had a Japanese, a black, half black Japanese child during World War II and that there was a river called the River of Tears where they would drop babies that were black and Japanese oh into God. the river. But she chose not to do that and she came and lived in South Central and it's completely assimilated as a Japanese woman into life in South Central. And like wow. never turned back, and I, like yeah, I read that story out loud to my mom. It was like really beautiful, but um, yeah, I think because I've never, I'm, I'm, I'm not, and my sisters, I'm sure, can agree. Like we don't, we're not Japanese enough, and we didn't really have that introduction to that culture. Sure, I've yeah. been, been there or knew my that family. It was kind of like a distant memory, and then we're black, but we were always, we're not. Mm-hmm as black as everybody else so it's so interesting to like see people having to deal with that like even like white and black and black and japanese and just different mixes of like you're not good enough for either or you're not 
either in the eyes of others and like struggling with that identity, Mm -hmm. especially in the cultures that, you know, like that, that the Japanese side of your family had of like, just kind of that, like, if you, if you get with a black man or if you have that child, then you're disowned, like that kind of, I guess, I want to say like prejudice, if you will, right, towards that. And it's just so hard identity wise to just come to and just figure out who we are because we feel like we're just such outsiders in this universe like especially for your family to be able to to have to go through that and not feel fitting in anywhere that that has to be tough as a kid yeah yeah it was it was really tough but i feel like yeah everything you said is i feel like the mixed experience Hmm. um but one thing about it i felt like I just found my interests were my identity mm. and I, I really would be very interested and obsessed with things. Like I would mm. collect things like I would collect rocks. I would like make books and cut out. Like I would be obsessed with pictures of like in the newspaper of like moose and nature and things. And I would co- make like, I'd have notebooks and notebooks full of <coughs> images. Like I would collect, you know, and I would, I, I would read a lot. You know, I read and mm-hmm. and I I couldn't really sit in in the superficial of it mm-hmm. or I, I never I, you know, sometimes I would get caught up about it. If, you know, like I had a story that um, I told on Instagram that people really like in, resonated with or enjoyed. It was really funny. I was um, my mom took me to school and preschool and dropped me off and she would drop me off every day. And this white boy named Josh came up to me and he goes, where's your black mom? And mm. I was like, oh, fuck, where is my black mom? Like, <laughs> I, 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 my mind was blown. He's like, that's not your mom. Where is your black mom? Mm. Like, who, like, who is, like, that's not your mom. So I went home and I was like, that's where crazy. is my black mom? And she was like, I'm your mom. And I was like, no, you're not. Where is, where is my black mom? Like, I start crying. Oh, my God. I started freaking out. My mom started showing me photos of her pregnant with me and, like, me as a baby. And, like, I calmed wow. down. And um, we joke about it because I'll, I'll get on my mom's nerves and she'll be like, go find your black mom. Oh <laughs> <my> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, whatever, Yoko. <laughs> but, um, wow. yeah, and I went back to school. Like, shut up, Josh. That is yeah. my mom. Uh, yeah. yeah, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up, Josh. <laughs> um, I'm about to beat Josh's ass. Be- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck bro, Josh. come see us, Fuck Josh. Josh. Yeah. <laughs> <Show> bitches. Bitch ass, Josh ass. So, yeah. So, that was like just some of the stuff that go through, like, mm. of people asking, what are you? You know? That's, abs- um, that's actually incredibly interesting that. Even identity-wise, as a like, forget ethnicity and all that, but that you started attributing your identity to just things that you gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's actually like the quintessential first step in like really understanding who we are as human beings. Yeah, because I feel like we all like grow into this world, like this nature and nurture, and we really build based off our like experiences mm-hmm. as opposed to our personal interests. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or like just figuring out what those are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad that I, you know, I guess it was a survivalist thing for me too because sure. it got me out of my head of like the stuff we were going through as a family. Like, you know, we moved a lot. 
and I, you know, I picked up ice skating. My dad, my dad uh, brought me home ice skates from a pawn shop. And like recess um, in winter, our basketball court would ice over. They mm. would turn it into like an ice skating rink. So when we move, I wouldn't, I always knew how to, I was okay with being alone. You know, like I was fine with it. Like, you know, I enjoyed it because I had like, li- like we would live in like three bedrooms or two bedrooms with like six of us. And, yeah. you know, and it'd be like, I was fine, you know, and I would make friends, but I would like do my thing. Yeah. Like I would just go skate and I would make friends, you know, just skate by myself, read, um, you know, um, I would like just keep myself occupied with like music. I listen to a lot of music, you know, um, and, and yeah, I just tried. And my dad would like, he was a really cool, like he would bring home things he found at the pawn shop and just like, he would be out, you know, my dad was a freelancer for sure. Like before you called it that, like he would do like, um, construction jobs or he would, you know, start like try to start a meta fund for people of color and business. Like he Mm. always had, you know, or he would volunteer, like he would do different things. And my mom, she was a seamstress. Mm. So she started doing that. That was like a hobby she did as a kid. But when she had us and she didn't, she didn't finish school because she was pregnant with me, she started sewing. And then she started working at Nordstrom, which is like the creme de la creme of Alaska. Um, yeah. <laughs> as high as it goes in Alaska is Nordy's. Shout out Nordy's. And um, she, you know, you know, was so excellent at what she did that she um, moved up to, to being a manager for over 10 years oh, wow. of, of the awesome. alterations department. And so my dad, yeah, my dad would, would help like underprivileged kids in summer programs and he would bring us with him, mm. you know, and we would hang out all summer with kids he would coach baseball like he would do things like and he always did things you know my dad still does stuff my mom still does stuff they they do stuff like we don't sit around and like like i don't know we're just not that type of people and i think that was a survivalist thing like what what are you you know like you can knit you can sew like we could draw like we would just be in that house and just everyone would be doing something for sure they're interested in you know Mm. and we that's what we had to do because we were left home alone all the time like you know like my parents were like always gone like you know two people of color like they they never could make enough money to get public aid like they never Mm. could get it was always a weird thing of like where they could have wanted a little more help but they couldn't get it Mm. but i don't know it was weird and um (coughs) so yeah so we moved around a lot um and yeah i just kind of always just made friends and I made and where I lived I had a lot of um a really cool upbringing being around a lot of immigrant kids and a lot of people of color um and I mean Alaska is very white but in the east side of town we would have Tongan Samoan like Alaska Native Slaushan kids Albanian kids um Filipino a lot of Filipino oh wow really yeah and um you name it, like a lot of people, you know, a lot of Alaska is a place where you can go to, to create better opportunity. You can, you can work. It's about your work ethic. Like, mm. you know, if you're a hard worker and you want to go work on oil on slope or do things like you can make a living or, um, some people brought their kids to escape gang violence too. Like yeah. a lot of kids were like involved in stuff down here. We called it the lower 48 down here. And um, okay, I feel you. Yeah, that was the <laughs> lower forty-eight. Okay, <laughs> okay. The lower forty-eight. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So it was a, a mix, a big mix of um, of different kids and different um, different backgrounds. When you did that, um, being around those kids, did you feel? Because I'm just thinking, like, in terms of your like 
your identity with yourself being half mm-hmm. half Japanese, half black. Did you start to kind of let go of that with yourself as you were around more immigrant children and more kids of different races and seeing like, okay, maybe I'm not so different, especially as you kind of progress and get a little older and get a little more accepted. Did that battle that you had with that identity start to to diminish? Yeah, it really did because I was such a like... I don't know. I was always just cool with people. Like I was cool. Like, you know, I wasn't, I had friends. Like I, I felt liked, like, I mean, not that I was trying to be liked, but I didn't really, I didn't let that. If I liked you, I liked you, Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, like I was best friends with like the only goth girl in uh, my junior high, Mm -hmm. Kay Foster. I used to go, uh, one day she asked me to go to her house because she had another goth boy coming over. I rode my little bike over there and she asked me to write anarchy signs on all of the Vogue posters that she had collaged all over her wall. And at the same time, I still hung out with all the black girls and we listened to So So Deaf Bass All Stars and I listened to the Asian kids and we would, you know, I don't know, wear Jinkos and... (laughs) (laughs) You feel me? Jankos, we all own the pair. I feel like that's a product of, of of moving around a lot and like being the new kid. Though you could either be mm-hmm. completely introverted, mm. or you can be one of those kids that like steps up in the scene. It's tough, but you're like, okay, let's figure out what the lay of the land is. Yeah, and then once you kind of get into that groove, you really tend to figure out and also have empathy for those that like aren't as accepted. Mm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like I moved around yeah. a lot as a kid, also, and I oh, just yeah. realized like I was just a funny fat kid. You know what I'm saying? And like, I completely, (laughs) we're still here, y'all. We're still funny. We're still fat. Like, it's all good. No, but it's one of those things where it really dictates how you kind of become and and your, your like personal being because you can either be a victim or you can just come in there and just be like, okay, cool. This is something new. Um, Well, the empathy that you're saying is, is, that's a really uh, interesting for sure because you know what you know what it feels like you know what i'm saying so you kind of build that um and you're either one that you know you look to see what the new experiences are looking like or you kind of just curl up into a ball and just let it kind of eat you you know what i mean absolutely yeah it's true you kind of have to have a sense of humility every time you move to a new school for sure you're just kind of like your back's against the wall for Mm. sure and you're you're new. I mean, after one or yeah. two this agains, like you kind of become okay with it. Yeah. You know what I yeah. Mean? Is that what you were doing? Were you going to like different school and different school and different school? Yeah, yeah. I would go to different schools. Like I probably we probably moved like five times. Wow. Um, up until my uh, junior high, until I got to junior high, mm-hmm. we kind of stayed in that area for like probably a good six years. Cool. Yeah. So so that was cool. And um, but yeah, it was um. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, and, and in, in that though, I got to know a lot of people. Like, yeah. it's kind of like jumping around different sides of town in LA sure. and getting to know different people and different things. It's like I, I I got to know a lot of different people and saw them around, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, it was cool. My mom still like held on and preserved to our Japanese, like her Jap- Japan that she remembered, and we had the culture in the home, and we had the black culture in the home. And that always felt good, you know, awesome. and I, I always felt, I was always proud of being Japanese. You know, I had like kimonos. I was always like first person being the multicultural s- assembly. Like I have kimonos, like dragging that. my kimonos to school, like to like that. show like that I was <laughs> Japanese, yeah. you know, and you couldn't tell me anything else, you know, and nice. always had a lot of pride in who I was and, um, yeah. And I mean, more than anything, yeah, take that Josh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Josh has. Um, <laughs> <And> Josh. <laughs> That's a new term for bitch ass. Is Josh, Josh ass. ass. Josh ass. Josh ass. All the, jo- all the Joshes out there listening like, okay, I get I it. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. So, so, yeah. So, um, but growing up, I wanted, I, I painted a lot. I, I drew a lot. And I was my love. And I only knew about Picasso and Van Gogh and like white artists. Like, you know, I didn't know about um, like Alma Thomas and other like Gordon Parks. I was never taught about black artists, mm. but I always wanted to do that. And I was, you know, um, in high school, I was always in art programs. I mean, all my life, I was always in art, in art class. Um, and I said I wanted to do that. And I was told that I, the best I could probably do would be to paint like, um, like tourist nature items, like a moose and Alaskan scenic landscapes. That was the path to being an artist in Alaska. And it, it was really devastating. Was it, was that told to you by like teachers? Oh yeah. The teachers were, I had some really crazy teachers at Bartlett high school. I was there from 1998 to 2002. Okay, let's stop. I'm, I'm airing it, it out. Throw out the social security numbers. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I, there was some really, like, really, like, there was some really oppressive advice given to kids. And, like, like if, you know, you were considered a nuisance or troublesome if you were a person of color. Like, if something went on, you were generally really? blamed for it first. Ooh. Even if it was initiated by someone who wasn't of color. Like, those things would happen all the time. People mm. were always feeling unheard. It was just such a thing. And um, Alaska has a real serious issue with, with race that, that needs to be addressed. But I feel like, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying everybody is that way, but... I can honestly say that I'm not making up my whole upbringing and, and seeing the way my dad was treated and even my mom. You know, people, sure. people would, when I was a kid, people would say, I don't understand what you're saying when my mom would speak. And I would, Ugh. as a little kid, I'd be like, you know what she said. Like, I was For a pop sure. Like, you know what she said. Like, you know, and just making her struggle to, to, or to, even though she, I understood what she was saying, like, people feeling like they don't have to try, but you yeah. should try harder. Mm. For sure. We just got to be better as like, communities and human beings to just like yeah. it's a melting pot bro you feel what i'm saying like, yeah. america is 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 a melting pot it's for all sure of us. And this we're place, built off of immigrants we are you know what i'm saying even the the european colonizers were immigrants here you feel me 100 percent. that's why i don't understand i mean yeah um i don't understand that so um yeah, so I don't know. So I, I what was it like? I want to yeah. forgive me for interrupting. What no, was no. it like for you, kind of growing, being, you know, a gifted kid, having a love for the arts? I'm sure, like, seeing your mom like sew and do all these things, like, and also your dad being in business, like, just this amalgamation of just trade and product, and also having to be you're the oldest, yeah, right. And also having to be the pseudo caretaker as well. Mm-hmm. How was that for you as a kid? And how do you feel like it it shaped you, you know, growing up into a young adult? Like, did you feel like you grew up way quicker? Oh, yeah, I grew up way quicker. And um, it shaped me. It made me who I am. And like, I learned that at a young age that if I wanted clothes, I need to make money, mm. you know, mm. and. I started figuring out ways to make money like as soon as I could. Like, That's incredible. Like, yeah, like when I was in like probably about like 10 or 11 years old, 
my dad, I told my dad I wanted to work with him. I want to make money because mm. I wanted the clothes that I wanted to wear. And I was such a picky kid. Like if we went to Kmart I or Walmart. Love that. Yeah. yeah. You're like, uh-uh. I would, I would go there, but I was so, I remember this. I would only wear gray sweatpants and gray shirts. I would only wear plain things if I, we went to Walmart. Like I was specific. Wow. Like I was like, I knew that I was only going to wear these What do you think that was looking back on that? Um, I think that I'm still that same person. Like, I think it was like my taste. Like there was something that I felt about wearing things that were like distinguishably made by the brand mm. and that I was like, I don't want to wear that. Mm, yeah. Like, I don't want to be affiliated with a faded glory t-shirt or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not wearing Sam's choice. Like I just didn't <laughs> I gotta, like, I gotta say, be like that with Sam, man. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I gotta do Sam like that. I mean, what was his choice? With, with Sam's Josh ass, bro. Yeah, Sam's Josh ass. Um, so, yeah, so I, my dad would put me in the truck with him, and he was like, all right, cool. You know, and I was like scraping paint off the sides of buildings with my dad with other men. And I remember <laughs> I was so scared. I was like holding this like eight foot roller, rolling the side oh of my the, God. The, the building. Yeah. And then I'd be like, okay, so where's my money? Like oh. I, and my dad would pay me. He would give me cash, you know, and he would teach me that we would go eat seven 11 hot dogs. And, um, that's incredible. I would, yeah, I would go work for him. Yeah. And then I would baby, I, I would ask my, I asked my mom to start paying me for babysitting. I, I was love like, you're that. taking my summers. So I would like to start getting paid, you know, and I held her to it. And I, and, and did I, they oblige? They obliged. Yeah. They obliged. That's yeah. They awesome. did. Yeah. They understood because I had so much responsibility. Mm-hmm, for and sure. I was kind of losing out on, you know, I was trying to juggle, trying that's to. That's incredible, though, that you, even as a kid, like, had that let me put my foot down and I'm going to ask for this and I'm going to get it. Do you think that came from the parents? Like, yeah, do you think I think that came. How, how do you what do you think? Like, I think it came from my grandpa. About? Really? <laughs> my grandpa got his money. You know, I like, you. like I got to think that I think it did come from my parents because they were working all the time. Yeah. They, and I saw that they were working all the time and I saw understood why. Mm. And I understood that I was working, too. And it know? made you value money. Mm-hmm. It made me value money. It really did. And um, as soon as I was 14 in the state of Alaska, you can work. I walked down to Little Caesars and I got a job. And what did it do? Yeah. And my manager was the nephew of uh, David Duke, the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, wow. And he would like, yeah, it was an interesting summer. Whoa. Um, what? Yeah. He would tell me about it. Um, I would be there and um, I was cool with everybody in there. It started getting a little weird, yeah. but it was also cool. My parents liked that I was working there because I would just bring pizzas home to my sisters mm. and stuff. But he would tell me about how David would send him merchandise and he just like, I didn't, I don't wear it. I don't wear it. I just keep it. I just save it, you know, just as memorabilia. And I'd be like, well, why? Yeah. If you don't believe in it. And he's like, well, that's my uncle. And you know, his last name was Duke too. Wow. Yeah, his last name was Duke too. Yeah, and then, um, but he never treated me, you know, badly. He never, you know, um, and that's another thing about Alaska is that you'll come across people that have really different opinions than you, that maybe vote for Sarah Palin, that maybe are, you know, have Republican attitudes. I wouldn't say that's Republican, but just just some real backwards yeah. ways. But I feel like if you, I learned that you can't, like, you don't fight that by. By, by like becoming aggressive toward those types of people sure. or anything like I think the more human you show yourself like I feel like that's the way to survive in Alaska 
is because first off, you I was looked at as a black girl or whatever they thought I was, you know, and working with like white men and white people that in this pizza pizza place, you know, one of them's like ancestor of a Klansman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, he was cool with me, but I always just. I always just thought that was weird and the things that he would say were weird, but I was just trying to get my money. For so sure. I was like, well, David, can I make three pizzas to take home? Or, you know, he's like, cool. You know, like, awesome. you know, I would just be like taking pizzas and doing stuff that I wanted to do. And he was all right with it. Cause I worked really hard. Awesome. I worked really hard. And that's, that's how you, I felt like I learned from my mom and dad is that's how you show people your worth that not they, how can they, how can they, they can say whatever they want about you, but can they say that you didn't do your job? Mm. And that's, that's kind of a mantra that, I carry from my mom and dad. They're very hard workers. Did you did you feel? And this is interesting with um, with kids that grow up really working like that. Did you f- ever like resent the work or feel like you had missed out on your childhood compared to all the other kids? Like, did you have those moments growing up? Like, man, I want to go play with those kids. Like, I'm not playing hide and seek right now, or like, yeah. or, or doing those things that all the other quote-unquote normal childhood kids are doing yeah, and, and battling with that. Yeah, I did. I did feel that way. I mean, I would like try to, I was a smart kid. I would try to figure out ways to make it work. Like a lot of kids would come to me, you know, like yeah. I had the only, I was, because <coughs> I, I had the mom that English wasn't good. Like I would give her money and she would buy me like, explicit advisory tapes and cds so i had the fuji's the score i was the only one on the block that had it and all my boys would come over Mm. and sit on the porch with me because they knew that i couldn't really leave yeah and they started to come to me you know and Mm. and that was cool you know um and i always had the good music because my mom one thing because of what i did my parents didn't really like feel like that to censor me like they didn't treat me like that like i if i wanted this album i love music my mom would get it for me you know, like Incredible. she didn't micro, they didn't micro me, you know? Yeah. And, um, it wasn't being a parent for the sake of being a parent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There wasn't like a censorship. My dad like cusses like a sailor and he would keep shit hella real with, with me, you know, because especially growing up, we always knew where the gun was in the house. Mm. So my dad like lined us up and he would lift a couch cushion up and there was like uh, a gun under the, the seat and he would be like, if anything ever happens, this is where it is. Wow. And I was like, okay. And we never touched it. Like we played in the house. We didn't that. We knew better. We were, For sure. we never played with that gun. For sure. I always had a gun under the, under the couch cushion or like. That's wild. One, yeah. I'm sorry. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it is, though, because... Yeah, for sure. But also for the parent to be able to establish, like, the values yeah. and also just the principles of, like, mm-hmm. look, I'm instilling in you guys this responsibility. There is a gun here. It's not a toy. Don't use it unless you need to, but I'm letting you women know yeah. where it is. Yeah, yeah. He would shoot it in front of us, like, we knew, and he would take it apart and clean it a lot. And we'd always see him, sometimes just late at night, he'd be cleaning his gun and taking care of it. And I always knew it was there. And I knew how to use it if I had to. And like one time I remember it was like a, it felt really real for me because we were, um, and it was like, it was like really snowy and my dad like would help people. Like if your their car, like this guy's car was pulled over on the side of the road and it was a really bad snowstorm and I was in the sixth grade mm. and we had this like blazer, like a Chevy blazer. And, um, my dad was like, I'm going to, okay, so look, cause he treated me just like a son. Like, uh, like he, my dad didn't treat us like little girls like daughters mm. my, and that's what i love about my dad i didn't sit on my dad's lap 
my dad didn't kiss us. Like he didn't do that. Like he'll hug us, but he'd be like all awkward. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and he didn't have a rule like, Oh, because you're a certain sex, I'm going to treat you as such. You know, my dad just treated me like he would just treat any, like any kid, like, a, like, you know how he was treated, I guess. And mm. so I remember this time I was in the car with him and he uh, pulled over and to help this person that, and it was crazy snowing and he was like, all right, so I'm going to help this person. But if something, if, if watch what's happening and if something, if, if something goes wrong, if this person tries anything, you need to come out and shoot him. Then I was like, okay, cool. Whoa. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. How old were you with this? Just the first I was 12 years old. 12 years old. Okay. Crazy. I was ready to do it though. I feel that. Yeah, I don't was, doubt that I'm for sure. a second. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Lenny didn't we, raise no fool. You know no, what I mean? No, no, no. I mean, and people, but people are real foolish. Like, for I mean, sure. you could get killed for like really. Like, I mean, it could be a setup. It could be whatever. For sure. You know, it's like really crazy. And that's da- an incredible level of like trust. Yeah, and it's there's just like this seriousness that's in your through line so far. Mm-hmm. Of I mean it. it you have like this insane education mm-hmm. um, or not education. What's the word I'm looking for? Just mine. Like you're very uh, heritage. Yeah, and you're, you're just, ex- yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, super smart, super hardworking, very focused, tons of responsibility. And then you say like, Oh yeah, I was 12 again. Like at 12, I'm still figuring out the difference between the party and the birthday. Still, <laughs> yeah. I still can't get it right. Like, uh, for real. Like, you know, like this is just, uh, and I just want to point this out. Like, it's just f- these things that uh, I'm not saying you are, but mm-hmm. that you may take for granted. These, these kind of, um, are, are not really in, in my perspective. I didn't grow up with those things. See, right. I mean, seeing kids really go through these things. You hear it, kids do, but like you, you have to remember like these are, this is an interesting childhood upbringing. To have sure. that state of mind, you know. I'm like, I always thought just that was normal, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, right. yeah, but whatever. Normal. You're in it, right? Yeah, it's, it's different. It is different. Yeah. It is different. Um, it not not in a bad or a good way. It's right. just it's just it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, like as we continue to go through, uh, where we see this part continue to pop up, as you got into high school and, and a little older, when did a, a shift in in terms of you becoming more of an individual happen because mm-hmm. I feel all kids go through that moment where you drift from your family. Yeah. Are you know, you want that independence, not just of like who you are, but mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, it's not cool to be with the parents. It's not cool to be with my younger sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your little, your siblings, like you kind of just go through that teenage angsty independence period. Yeah. Did that happen with you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It happened in two ways. I I was super influenced by my cousin, Sabrina, who was like a sister to me. She's my grandfather's brother's daughter. Okay. And my mom and dad um, took her under their wing because they had to babysit her a lot in college. So Mm. she would sleep in the dorm with them. You know, it was before I was born. Oh, wow. And when I was born. So she was a little older than you. She was probably like six years older than me or eight years older than me yeah and she's she calls my mom mom like they're still we're all really close Mm. um but she was with my parents she was like i you know would tell me how she remembered what my mom looked like when like in college and she remembered seeing them together and you know 
that idea of a relationship she developed from seeing my mom and dad because her Incredible. mom and dad weren't necessarily like well like doing well you know um and she was like our sister so sometimes she would help take the weight off me my parents really trusted her and that was really it mm. so but she would fuck with us all the time like she was like d- dark <laughs> i hope you hear this uh, she would like make us watch freddy cougar movies oh man and, like snatch She's like, us Sabrina's here yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> literally anna speed her grapes like she denies these stories to this day Art, like stop playing yeah she denies all of stop it stop joshing over here yo she would listen to scarface and the worst rap like i mean not worse but like the most hardcore rap with like us four little girls in the car now she's a christian you know like, <laughs> I, I can see her walking in yeah. I, I can see her walking in like when when yoko and lenny want a date night she's like bye yoko and lenny <laughs> Yo, that's Sabrina through and through. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Have a good time. (laughs) Bye, Mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know? How do you know? (laughs) You guys want to watch? You guys want to watch a movie? Right. You ready to have some fun? Literally, that was what it was like. <laughs> Arachnophobia, lawnmower man. Like, you'd be like, oh, Stop playing. dad asleep, and she'd come and grab our feet and snatch us out the bed. Oh, my Like, God. she was a nut, but I love her so much. <laughs> and she was like the coolest person I ever met in my life. You know, I feel she was you. mad cool. Like, she always dressed so fly. Like, she did her thing. You know, she taught us about money too. Like, she was like, You want to make money? I was like, Yeah. Like, she's like, All right, you're going to sell lollipops. So mm, she like, Buy a awesome. box of lollipops, make us run up to basketball players people in parks and we'd sell lollipops and then buy like better candy you know awesome. like and she's a real hustler too like she left alaska she went to howard you know awesome. and uh went to university of maryland and she works in like public health and she's just such a brilliant woman and, no. and she came you know from not being expected to do much to doing so much Incredible. you know and um mm. You know, and she's an amazing mother and everything. But she doesn't want me to tell my cousins these stories about. They can't listen to 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 music with curse words in it, and I just think it's so funny. I'm wow. like, you're so fake. <laughs> you, know that? <laughs> you don't remember. You don't remember, yeah. right? But she was my escape, and I always wanted to be like oh, her. Incredible. Like I wanted to be like her. And then another escape that I had, and really my real independence came in really a crazy way because my parents wouldn't really let me use public transportation that much in Alaska or do that much, but my parents sent us to Oakland for the first time. And I mean, I went to Oakland as a child. My parents had their honeymoon there, but one summer, the first summer I was in Oakland was when I was in sixth grade going into seventh grade. Mm. And we were there for like two or three months. Me what was that like sisters. for you? Oh, it was off the charts. It was I like love it. everything. Like I had my first boyfriend. He smoked black and mild. Oh. Hey. He was like 12. <laughs> like, <Yo. laughs> I'm like, my first kiss tastes like black and mild. <laughs> His name was Poombi. He was from Richmond. Um, and, That's incredible. Uh, yeah. And I rode the bus by myself. My grandma let me ride the bus. I, you know, I'd save money from working with my dad, cleaning, doing those, you know, clean, um, babysitting and, you know, scratching paint off houses. And I would go to Durant Square by myself and buy like clothes and shoes and like, you know, swap meets. And my cut, my aunt Tiffany, she was a big influence for me. She never treated me like a kid. Awesome. And that's my dad's sister. And um, she would just let me go with her. Like she would, she would tell me, Hey, I, I know her Tupac's cousin, Tupac's cousin works at music plan. And no I'd be like, shut way. up. Yeah. So we took like three buses to Southland mall 
to see Tupac's cousin and he looked just like Tupac. That's insane. <laughs> and, and I remember that was like such a big moment for me. Like we would eat nachos bel grande like all the time. Shout and, out to Taco and, Bell, yeah. you feel me? <laughs> Taco Bell come through and um and I learned a lot from my grandmother, you know, and my grandma showed me, you know, like she was a strong woman. My mo- mother was a strong woman. You know, but she would leave us alone. She would go work. She would uh, watch, um, monitor very wealthy, um, elderly people mm. off the marina. And she would leave us. She would leave me with my sisters and we would play. We would meet with these kids. Like we would go hang out with family members and, and it was free. I felt it's really crazy because I was like, how come I feel so free in Oakland? But like I didn't have that freedom in, in Alaska as much from my family, you know, mm. and I, I thought about it. But actually, I mean, we 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 did leave our doors unlocked to a degree, and and we did, you know, we go go fishing and and do really cool things. But like, yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting. I had that freedom in Oakland, of all places. Um, and then I learned about travel at that point. So, and in, in June, when I had my my little Caesar's job, I saved money to go back to Oakland. Awesome. On my own. Yeah, and you know, go go there and save my money because mm. I wanted to floss and I wanted to buy stripper clothes. You know, I wanted like, <laughs> hey, like I wanted good, Hoochie though. ass clothes. Like I wanted to, I wanted <laughs> yeah, the wanted boss out. Yeah, like I wanted the clothes that I could change out of these clothes to go party in because I that's when I started partying. Mm. That's when I learned about that, and that's was that was my escape. What were you like? Where did you find your fashion inspiration from at that time? Man. um... I found it from a lot from TV. Um, I was in love with 90s music videos. Like, I was in That's love a, with... Like, flossy time, too. Oh, know. man, those were the best times. That's a bossy time. Oh, you remember those yeah. days? Like a Donnell Jones girl. Shoo! <laughs> I wanted to look like that, you know? She be be I'm dying. Yeah, exactly. For real. <laughs> you wanna stay oh. <laughs> where I wanna be. You feel um, me? Yeah, all of that. I was inspired by Vibe magazine. I would buy vibes. Mm. We had vibe at Kmart. Um at Kmart. At Kmart. We had right. vibe. Um my mom and dad had like I would look at their old photos. They had really really bomb style. My cousin Sabrina had bomb style. A lot of kids had style. People were really into the way they looked because if there was a way that you could identify yourself, because, you know, you uh-huh. wear winter clothes, right? Like everybody, you had to have the bomb jacket, like, or you were corny. I you feel know, you. You had to have the sneaker or you were corny. It's crazy you know? how, like, 90s influence, like, the vintage pools of, like, right now is, is going, like, crazy heavy Tommies. It's and crazy like, to see it. Wild. Like, yeah. the 90s were just all in smash with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those days, like oh, North man. Face, yeah. like the Nietzsche, the <laughs> South Pole gear, for sure. everything. South Pole, damn. <laughs> yeah. The Gerbodes, bro. The Gerbodes. coming out crazy. Oh, you know what I'm so crazy. Those were the days. So was that so? Was that style in Alaska too? Did it like really carry over like that? Oh, yeah. We were like little sponges. All we did was watch music videos. And mm-hmm. we would like watch The Box all night. Everyone was obsessed. The Box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the box. And yep. like, we were really, um, I think that in, in a lot of ways, what I love about being a kid in Alaska was that we had to be communicators. And we, when the, like, we How would so? be on the phone all the time. We would mm. always be calling each other. 
you know we would always be calling each other we'd be having like three-way calls another three-way call or be like order you know like all requesting the same song on the radio like gangster's paradise at the same time like you guys we gotta request this song you know? you. Like, like we were just like little like we were like little like, eh, like you know? <laughs> <laughs> we were we were a little like parasites i love that <laughs> literally literally they hated us on kgot the right they hated us no (laughs) i feel (laughs) we were nuts we were we were just like not giving a fuck and like like the box was heavy bro can you think about mtv and like Mm -hmm. that music video era was like the internet yeah, yeah, no, it was. It, was. it really that was. was like the kids' internet. Like, well, I would wake up like at six in the morning to watch this video on the box. Like every morning, they would always come on at that time. Yeah, like videos were something you like, woke up for, bro. I like, sneak run over home t- for. to my homie Daniel yeah. Bakella's house because my mom, for a time, didn't let me watch MTV. And what? what? And what is a parent that's not going to let you watch something? What do you do? You go to the friend's house <laughs> yeah. and you watch it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, she saw like Beavis and Butthead and shit like that. And like she got over it after like a couple months. Cause I was just like, what the fuck's going on? But I literally would run over there and watch all that shit. Music videos, Beavis Butthead. And I felt like I was like, Oh my like, god, I Beavis. Felt like, yeah. Oh my god. I want you to watch MTV and all of yeah. these things. And I would be at the homie's crib, like, all right, it's like a mission. Yeah. I <laughs> no, we were fiends, right? Like for, sure. for that, for yeah, the like BT uncut. Mm, all day, all day. So all when day. you when you went to Oakland, mm-hmm. was that a different experience? Um, I, I could just imagine first just being in California, then Oakland, California, mm. where the vibe is very real mm-hmm. and the culture is very for real, sure. and mm-hmm. it's way way more potent than it's going to be in anchorage alaska yeah um did that just like oh yeah it blew my mind you know but she went did you actually feel more comfortable in oakland by any chance yeah i still do i feel very i feel i mean i feel comfortable in both places but i felt like in oakland i really got my coming of age Mm. and i really was like yo people in oakland are I, i love oakland people are so real yeah and they mean it Absolutely. And they they are so helpful and they're, they mean it. And there's so much love and intent, you know? Mm. And I feel like it's like the heart, like I always call Oakland the Philly of LA, you know? And I feel like there's those satellite cities where, you know, people are just too real for their own good. And I, I understood that part of myself because I, I couldn't not be who I was. Yeah. I didn't know how to be anything else. And my dad didn't know how to be anything else. And I grew up in that. And so I felt that identity and then I would come back. I would just feel really recharged. You know, um, that's amazing. Yeah, I loved it. I love. I still do it. I was just up there um, a couple months ago. Incredible. And I, I go. I still sleep in the bed with my grandmother. That's oh. awesome. Yeah, and we. She'll be like, "Okay, you're gonna sleep in the bed with me," and I'm like, "Okay." And that's awesome. I love my grandmother, Jessie. She's an incredible woman. So shout out to your grandmother. Shout mom. out to grandmas. You know. Um, yeah, so I would feel super recharged and I would bring that energy back with me. Um, and I knew that from that point that Alaska wasn't really for me Mm. and it helped me like, it's crazy. See, seeing the possibility of something else, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that plays such a critical role. I feel like in so many episodes, um, that we've done. And I feel like just life in general, Mm 
um, being able to experience and see different parts of our world, whether it be like super world traveling or even just getting out of your own neighborhood yeah, and seeing that something else outside of this exists. I always think about like how, like how would it be like for kids if they had the opportunity to, to understand what life was like in different areas and how much it would like broaden their experiences or even sense of curiosity. Oh, yeah. I think that's so pivotal. And that's what, Mm. growing up in Alaska, that it felt like an island. And actually, things have changed a lot, but you can't get out. Mm. You can't. There's no way out unless you could afford a plane ticket. And like driving out is really out of the question. It takes you about a week or more just to get out. You know, Alaska is like two and a half times the size of Texas. So just to drive almost to the center is like... That's wild. I never put that into perspective like that. And and that's why things get real wild up there. Like there's some wild... Like the little wild, wild west, but not in the west. west. Yeah. And it's just so much like open land too. It's not... It's open land and people... But people take things too far. Like there's a lot of... There's a lot of uh, like pain and a lot of uh, things that um, like where people um you can't like like a lot of beef and there's a lot Fuck. that goes down mm. you know and um it gets real really real up there like mm. it's really wild it's really wild and um a lot of people can't leave especially people of color and a lot i, I remember coming back home from college and seeing some homies that i used to kick it with and he would be like yo how do you how do you how do you do that and i'm like do what and he was like how do you live in cali and i'm like i just did it and he was like, I just can't imagine that. Wow. Like, and a lot of people never leave and they try to leave, but they always go back. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like some, some of that, something about Alaska, there's something that is just, ing- I feel like you either stay or you go. And if you leave, you come back. Like there's something about it that like you mm-hmm. just can't not be there. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're used to that function. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's okay, you know, but I do think I wish that a lot of kids I feel like now with the internet, they're seeing more of the world. For sure. But back in my day, we didn't have, we, 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 well, I was, I'm pre and post internet. So, um, yeah, it was actually, it was a really dope time to, for, I, I'm really love being part of that. For sure. I mean, even with the internet, I feel like there's something like, I feel you. Shout out to the ambulance. <laughs> Let's do a little dance. <laughs> no, but yeah. no, but even with the internet, I feel like there's something really special about experiencing it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have homies over here that are like out in Compton and Inglewood in these areas, and like have never experienced the beach yeah, still crazy. to this day. And we live in Southern California. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We could see pictures of the beach, but unless we've been there, it's like, oh, the beach exists. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's wild to me. It's wild. People don't leave their neighborhoods. Yeah. I think there's just the PTSD that isn't spoke about or treated from slavery and from blackness, like of people that are really frozen in terms mm. of like exploration or um, getting outside of the comfort zone. Like mm. there's people, you know, I don't found people like in Southern state. I mean, people all over that won't get on planes for sure. Won't leave like a lot of people of color that, yeah, it's a really interesting mm. thing, you know, like, my grandma won't go to visit my sister in Germany. Like she refuses. Wow. Like she barely wants to get on the plane, you know? Yeah. Um, and my, uh, yeah, like it's kind of crazy to me. It's, mm. it's a really, it's a really, it's really a really tragic thing. I feel like, mm. and, um, 
communities. I had a, a boyfriend who um, had family members in, I think it's Missouri or somewhere in the South, but he said that when he comes to visit, they don't leave the house. Oh, wow. They don't leave the house. It's somewhere like where outside the walls is pretty racist, but everything happens in the home. That's like, wild. They don't leave the house. Yeah, it's not like that. And that's a common story. It's a really common story. Um, but yeah, so I was like ready to get out the house though. Yeah. I was like learning about <clears throat> clubbing and partying and nightlife. And then I started and then um, the internet came into my life too. Like, and I was like on Napster downloading music. Like mm-hmm. my mind was blown. Like, <laughs> Yo. It was like a little like, yeah, I was, you know, learning um, HTML and getting into chat rooms and finding community online and finding worlds online and finding, you know, getting, keeping myself entertained, like talking to people, we would like AO, like be on aim, you know, mm-hmm. and communicating about what's going on. Mm. And, um, those aim chat rooms, man. Aim wow. chat rooms. Yeah. And, um, yeah, started blogging and writing a lot and didn't realize a lot of people were reading my shit like, around town. Really? Beefing. Yeah. We had a lot, a lot of the Asian girls in, in um, high school were blogging and the girls were like, yo, it was okay. You had to have the lit HTML on your page. Like people were doing elaborate ass designs. Like if your Asian Avenue page wasn't lit, you were nobody. Like where are the snowflakes? <laughs> yeah. You know, where's the Jennifer song? You know, like, <laughs> like, you know, everyone had the flash that was like six times lighter than they, what they really look like on their photos. <laughs> You know, like, and the high contrast. And I was a part of that world too. And I was a part of like Black Planet and other, you know, worlds. And I was like blogging and stuff. And, um, yeah. And I, I, my, one of my best friends from since kindergarten, she's half black and white. Her name is Ginger. I met her in kindergarten. And I walked up to her and I was like, I want to be your friend. And like, we're, we're still friends. Awesome. To this day. Yeah. And, um, she kind of introduced me into, to partying. Like, she, was a bravado at it and like i would just i like started my parents started to i just started to learn how to lie (laughs) and like Um, how to lie and get out and i was doing things that i really shouldn't have been doing yeah like um i wasn't like i i didn't want to have sex though i didn't have sex um but i just wanted to be out you know and i had a boyfriend at the time he was like a filipino like he was a racer like he was really into his Honda SI, and there was a street <laughs> racing culture out there too. For sure. <laughs> so, so you were hitting all, all, all of it. All of it. Yeah. 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 It was all that was happening, and we were really influenced by what was going on, and we everyone was really passionate about what they were interested in. Yeah, for sure. So it was like we still had that. You know, we had those things going on, and um, yeah, it was it was cool. I was like in nightclubs and bars at 14 and but i was responsible as fuck you know really like I, that's, that's your core yeah yeah i wasn't trying to get myself into a bad situation you know i didn't want attention on myself like that mm-hmm. like i knew like you know guys like even like in elementary school or junior high guys would like drive up to us like roll up on you and like ask you if you want to get in a car and like it's crazy like, yeah, yeah it's like girls like guys would do that all the time what like, the fuck all the time and mm-hmm. i never felt that never sat with me all the time. <clears throat> like you're kind of pathetic yeah like if you're trying to ask little girls to get into your car That's like fucking weird crazy. it was weird that happened all the time there was a lot of that but um I also just knew I didn't want to embroil myself with no older dude like that. You For know? sure. And so I would be out, man. We would be out. We would be at raves. We would be at um, Club Millennium. 
which was like the 18 and up club. Hey. I was sneaking to Club Soraya, which was like a Latin, the only Latin club. So it was like all, all, all various <coughs> like Dominicans or a lot of Dominicans in Alaska. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, a lot. That's po- wild. Puerto Ricans, um, Mexicans, or you name it. So the music would flip different demographics and I would dance and, and um, I love music and I love that escape. Yeah, for sure. And that was really cool for me. And my, my parents kind of, I think they started to probably catch. I mean, at some point then having that boyfriend, me working and, you know, I was contributing to the household too, you know, and um, my sisters were getting older. So I was able to have more freedom. Mm. And I was also doing, you know, I was in AP classes in school. I was working. I was captain of the track team. You know, I was still doing what I was supposed to do. So you're holding it down. I was holding it down. So I'm like, yeah. you can't really tell me shit. I mean, this is just what teenagers do. This is what you do throughout that time. For sure. Um, it's just interesting, though, like you, you still kept the core of that kind of like responsibility because it could have also gone the other way where you could rebel. Mm. Um, and it doesn't sound like you're doing that, though. It sounds like you're just experiencing what everyone else is. This is a natural progression. Yeah. But, you know, when you're so kind of a lot of times we we hear the stories of you know growing up if you really um have those responsibilities and you kind of miss out on some of those childhood things or you they come out in other ways later yeah and you kind of overcompensate but um it it's just a, a you know a testament to your personality like your disposition yeah. of being this this kind of very strong core person uh, you know, at the core. Thank you. Yeah, and also shout out to the parents to like, for, if I'm not mistaken, like literally they established independence within you guys, but let you guys live, right? Yeah. Or was it like the clamp being held down? There was, yeah, a little more. Um, there was a clamp down. No, my dad. I mean, my dad. I was trusted, but also they were really. I felt. I realized it was a fear. For sure. Especially because we had been an island for Absolutely. so long. So. Um, you know, I had to really fight, you know, and I had to really stand my ground in terms of like me wanting to be out yeah. and do things. And I really fought for it, you know, and I really understood that it's like business, you know, like if I'm handling my business for sure, why like, don't tell me that I can't, cause we've been doing business mom and dad since I for was sure. Seven yeah. years old. Yeah. For sure. Well, and that kind of, <laughs> see, but that, that's such an important piece mm-hmm. is big like, time. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I'm like all the way. I'll tell y'all why you can't tell me no. Exactly. Right. And I have, here's my resume. Yeah. <laughs> for real. Started, for, for real. Starting at kindergarten. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> that, that's, it's the resume. You know. Um, yeah, man. It was like. Yeah, it was it was like that, and I had to really break away. And um, there were some, some things that happened that that really had me in my feelings with my parents for a minute. You know, like when I wasn't I wasn't really sure. I was trying to get into colleges, and you know, I wouldn't say that I had the best grades, but I had passing grades. I just didn't believe in the institution of school in general. Like I was always fighting and arguing. I mean, my dad always told me question anything. Like, yeah. Don't you know? I'd be an AP arguing about why my teacher was sitting there praising Andrew Jackson as the greatest president ever. And I was like, actually, he was a slaveholder. Actually, this and that. And then I would I would get kicked out of class. Well, it's just funny to say like, oh, yeah, I got passing grades. Yeah, but you're in AP classes. Like, yeah. clearly, the, you, you're you very smart. Yeah, I was only one of two 
people of color in those classes um, a lot of times and I I almost did it just out of I always did a lot of stuff out of principle Mm. I was a real out of principle person Mm. in high school yeah I was just really um, a challenger I was really like a fighter I was really I'm looking back at it I'm like yeah I was just because I'm like you don't want me in here so I'm gonna be in here Mm. you know and I would always say things because I didn't like the way that they spoke to us I didn't like the way they treated us yeah you know, and I mean, like my boyfriend at the time, he fell off the path and it was really interesting because I was an achiever and he was like a really underachiever. Mm. I wouldn't say he was underachiever. I think that he just had trauma that he never was able to deal with with his brother getting murdered. Oh, wow. His older brother was got murdered, got killed behind a grocery store Safeway. Oh, Jesus. my God. And he, um, his parents were immigrants and his dad was in the army and uh, when I met him, it was probably a couple of years after that happened. And he never got therapy. He never got help. Mm. And it was like so devastating for the family. And I would come and feel that sadness. Mm. But a lot of people of color don't know, you know, don't have help. For sure. So I just always felt that for him. I always knew, you know. And then he started, um, you know, robbing houses. Well, first... <laughs> He was wild. It was really funny. He would pick me up in stolen cars, and I didn't know wow. that they were stolen. And um, mm-hmm. I would get rides home from school. He would, he would, he would, he loved me though. You know, like he met me on track practice, and he would steal snacks for me <laughs> and bring them to me. And I'd be like, "Where did you get this?" He was like, "He couldn't breathe." He'd be like, "I was just running." And I gotta go now. I was like, see somebody running after him. Like, all right, I gotta go. Yeah, like literally, I'm like, what is happening? Um, and um, you know, he was a good. He had a good. He was a good dude. He had a good heart. He had a lot of friends, a lot of people like that loved him. And yeah, he kind of went. He just went down a bad path and um, started like robbing houses. And um, yeah, I one day um, <laughs> I'm like, I well, he can't get in trouble. I'm saying his name. Um, I started noticing that things were really weird with him and his parents would always be like you help me help me like talk to him this and that and I'm yeah. like I'm like you're, there's only so much I you know and I just remember I would try to convince him to go to school all this and I remember opening this closet and there was like a carpet bag full of like guns like oh, mad guns and I was like what the fuck are you doing yeah and it just started going really dark and then at that point they turned into a string of home robberies and invasions um and um him and a group of people got thrown in jail some of the homies got their houses searched Mm. and not me luckily nothing none of that came my way but um i stayed with him through that i stayed with him in a way i look back and it's a foolish way because he ended up cheating on me Mm. um after that and that really traumatized that i was i I like had a little nervous breakdown after that really but as a student and then you know my own responsibilities and stuff like i i still stayed with him and I would go visit him, and I, I just couldn't imagine turning my back on him. And I, my parents, we had a conversation about that because I was like, I want. They were like, What do you want to do? And I was like, Well, I want to stay. Like, I don't want, I don't want to leave him like that, you know. And mm. they were like, Okay, well, we support you. Okay, and and they they loved him, you know, too. So I did. I stayed with him, and I and then he got out of jail. He went to jail for like a year or so, like juvenile. And um, the newspaper, because of they were all people of color, wrote all their names, published all their names, but Ugh. they were underage. And I remember fighting that. 
like writing in Chris Daily News and like a letter wow. and saying like how dare you like do this to people of color and mm. youth of color like you're not giving them a chance like you just slandered their names and their mm. futures yeah. I was like that's illegal it's illegal for you to publish their full names Ugh. How can you do something like that? And then I had like my vice principal. Oh, how's your little boyfriend in jail? Oh my God. Saying, making comments to me about him. Like he's not really going to be much like you sure you want to do that. Insane. And everyone knew that I was the girlfriend of this guy that was, uh, that did these things. Um, so thank you. And then, um, yeah. And I was okay with that. You know, I sat with that. I, I, I made that decision. Um, and, yeah, but with that, that all kind of piled on top of me and was, um, and me, you know, wanting to leave Alaska was a part of, like, part of that was part of a reason why I felt like I need, I needed to go. Mm. And I started to, um, yeah, apply for schools and I, I didn't get into UNLV and I wrote him a letter, um, because I had taken an art and design, like, outside of school course, and they didn't count it. And so I wrote a letter, got a letter of appeal, and I was accepted to go to UNLV. And I was working at a bank at that time. So, um, so yeah, I saved up 300 bucks, and I um, went down to Vegas, and I'd never been before. And, um, what was that like? It was insane. It was Yo. so crazy. Our friend's grandpa picked us up. He was an ex-cop. Didn't know the man, but he was, like, he acted like an ex-cop. Like, he took us to like Sunset Station to eat from the buffet. He had points or something. And then, like, they slept in this extra bedroom. Me and Ginger, we both went for one night and he was cool. He drove this Bronco. He like wore all this Western jewelry. He was this like older white man that was like just a G. And he dropped us off at campus. And yeah, I, I lived on, on campus. Um, what was your kind of mentality going into, uh, going into college, coming out of not just this relationship, because mm. the relationship to me just sound like this is just another, this is your qualities, like your responsible qualities mm -hmm. that you've been doing for your sisters, your family, yourself, this other person, mm. you're, you know, in this relationship is your, your boyfriend. Um, you're, you're like continuing to carry this thing with you. Mm -hmm. going into college mentally yeah. and consciously, did you let go of that or did you just, was it just, I got to just get away and then figure it out later? Man, I, I think so. I didn't realize I was carrying so much with me. Um, I, um, I didn't leave on really like the best terms of my parents cause they kind of told me they didn't, they, my dad said maybe you should take some remedial courses. Maybe you're not really ready for school. And they were like making up these reasons that they didn't think I could do a university, which I was like bizarre. Yeah. But then I found out that it was just their fear. Fear, yeah. A fear, a real a huge fear that they had. And then, you know, to top it, I found out that my grandfather passed away. They didn't tell me. Oh, man. And I found out from my cousin. Mm. And I never got to say goodbye. And I was Ugh. very close to him. And I found that out my freshman year in the dorms. Ugh. And just to top it off, too, like when I left Alaska, like someone had slashed all the tires of the cars that I drove. And things were just getting really weird. Mm. And I felt like I felt like people I don't know what it was. I I I um I I had to get away, you know? And 
I don't think that I don't really even think I really unpacked a lot of that mm-hmm. until after you know when my story progresses as to like when I started my first my first um until later in my life got it probably like maybe four years ago wow yeah like I really had to really think about um a lot and mm-hmm. and, and really like let go of a lot mm-hmm. um but um yeah vegas was great to me though vegas was was good vegas was wild though um and it was nice to get away but it was also like i've just jumped into a whole nother wild west like, you did indeed yeah, yeah. <laughs> i didn't really know what i was getting myself into like <laughs> honestly like you know, For real? i go to vegas like all right i'm going thursday through sunday Saturday, I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> for real. Get me out. For real. Yeah, I lived there for five years. Wow. Yeah. Let me ask you this. When you when you took off from high school, what what was it in your did you have it in your mind like, yo, I want to go out and I want to do this? Did did you have those like ideas formulated already? Or did that kind of start happening more in college? That really happened in college because, like, I knew I was in the creative. I wanted to be a creative, and like I said, the te- like I wasn't encouraged really to be an artist. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I did have a teacher that I was in an art, um, in an advertising design class, and he was a really, really cool guy. It was like, like a career center, like a semester, and he was like, "You really should do this," you know. Mm. And in that, I learned about Paul Rand, and I learned about typography, and I learned about things, and I would design like packaging and and things like that. And he told me that you should think about that. But when I would apply to schools, I didn't know how to even make a portfolio. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I knew I was a creative. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll be an art director because that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. I didn't, couldn't be a painter. I was a natural-born painter. Like, I never was trained. Gotcha. And so um, when I got to UNLV, I, I started in the arts program. Um, I was a fine arts major. And I was, like, taking different courses in, in that and painting. And, and it was... And in that time, my grandfather passed away. My my sister called me, and my parents fell into like, you know, um, I mean, not, that was after freshman year. That was probably my sophomore sophomore year. They fell into some hard times, and it just um, felt really selfish. I, I felt guilty about pursuing something because, in a way, I felt frivolous. Like, mm. would it, it wasn't though. Like, it was what I loved, and I think a lot of people of color. You know, I talked about this last night. A sister within voices of like the guilt of pursuing something that is creative when people are struggling in your family or people need help and you're like, Oh my God, I'm selfish. Mm. This is self-serving. So I switched to marketing and advertising or media studies Mm. in that. And I started studying that. And, um, you know, in that I learned how I started taking classes on, um, web design, um, and learn how to do Dreamweaver. And I was pretty proficient in, you know, learning coding. And, um, my brother-in-law, Austin is really great. So he would help me instead of my sister's, um, my, well, my sister's ex-boyfriend, but he's still my brother. Um, <laughs> so that's my dog. Um, and, um, yeah, I started, um, actually I got this really crazy job that helped me get through school. First of all, I, I started my identity really did start, which I will give them credit was when I met the kids, I started going outside of school downtown and meeting people in scenes mm. and outside of school. Okay. I learned about scenes because I was kind of like, I didn't really relate to kids in school on campus okay. too much. Mm. I have some best friends that I'm like solid, but I started, you know, I walk around, I didn't have a car. I walk around on Maryland, Maryland Parkway. And at first I met the kids that started fruition. I met, 
Sam and Chris. And it was when they first opened the store, there was no sign. And um, we vibed because I was, I, was, I was wearing vintage. I was a part of me growing up. My cousin Sabrina introduced me to vintage. We didn't have a lot of money. You know, so I would find weird stuff, you know, and I'd wear it. And I would also use my money to buy new stuff, but I loved it. I would find, I remember I found my first Leonard of Paris dress, and my dad and my mom knew what Leonard of Paris was. And honestly, my parents had really great taste, yeah. even though we didn't have money. My dad, my parents never wore cheap colognes or perfumes. Like, if they bought something and they could, it was nice. Yeah. You know, it wasn't... Quality. Know, it was quality, even though we, we didn't have money. I learned that from my parents. Like, mm-hmm. you don't smell cheap, you know? Um, you don't wear cheap. You don't look... You don't need to look cheap. But, you know, and my mom yeah. would fix stuff to make it look tailor mm-hmm. us and, you know, my ideas. So, we we clicked. You know, we all clicked. And, you know, I met a whole community of people that were... In, you know, I didn't know what streetwear was. I learned about that, and it was like back in two thousand and four or five when things started popping off. Yeah, uh, magic was sure. a thing <laughs> for sure. He wasn't at the magic show. He wasn't about shit. <laughs> 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 you know, um, and I started from MySpace. Like, Shout out to MySpace. Yo, bro. MySpace was so lit. Of course, yeah. Man, MySpace. I wouldn't be who I, where I'm today without MySpace. Wow, hands down. Hands down, yeah. And um, I was, um, yeah, I started, I, I got a lot of followers on MySpace. Like something happened. I posted this one photo of myself with my Afro and I had this like Japanese weird t-shirt and then like thousands of people liked it. And that was the first time that's ever happened to mm. me. And I was like, this is fucking weird. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was really a funny thing to have people recognize me um, or hear, you know, and, and I started modeling and doing some little things. Like I, I, I modeled for Black Rainbow and um, little things here and there. And I was involved in a community and then I was also making other communities of friends in like, indie rock scenes and stuff because i've always listened to everything like I've, i'm just like i love like jewel i love the yeah yeah yeahs and and i love rap and i love all of it and i would just go and do different things with my different friends and i made them from myspace somebody would be like hey you want to like my best friend my best friend's tiffany she became my friend from myspace mm. like she moved from detroit and she was like hey want to hang and i was like cool you know like, <laughs> like we're like <laughs> no, we we talk about MySpace a lot, just especially like from music too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was springboard, man. Huge, like mm-hmm. if, any, if you got in someone's top eight, like you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it's just who's on that top eight? But yeah, yo, word. Exactly. You feel me? Josh ain't. That's for sure. Oh, Josh ain't. Josh ain't. No, no, Josh. But. It's incredible. Like we ha- have this like nostalgia with MySpace. If you if you experienced it, yeah. but also such an impact from it at the same mm-hmm. time. It's not just like oh that social media that was like pre Facebook. It, it could have been no. Like MySpace was really its own entity in its own world sure. that took off in a massive massive way. It's so unfortunate we like now don't really think about it like that. Right, but. It was our gateway drug. The, the, it was. Oh my God, the impact that it had on so many people and what you can do. I think that was really like the first peek into like real social media, the power yeah. of that, it, what it can have. For sure. Absolutely. The birth of the social network. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even though there was Friendster. For sure. But like, <laughs> Friendster. Oh, Friendster. No, you didn't. <laughs> 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 
I remember going like in, in like uh, the computer in like the library. I didn't even have a computer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, let me pop in on my Friendster profile. Like, right? Yeah. Oh, Friendster. Let me wait for it to load. Hold on. Hold on. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Still loading. Damn. But no, it's just, but MySpace was such a launching pad, like you said. I mean, crazy. Yeah. And especially for, for, you know, creatives and music and yeah. fashion and everything. Man, it's really crazy, right? Like, for sure. The impact of that and how I always give so much love to that, that space. I felt like it was just such a genuine time. Like, it felt like the good old days. For sure. Like, there are so many friendships I made from, from MySpace that prevail. You know, and I think that people who are on MySpace really learned a genuine way of being who, I mean, I wouldn't say for everybody, there was some fakes on there, but like a genuine way of translating who they were as a person onto the internet. And I think that's what's wrong with today is that people are curating who they are as opposed to being who they are. I feel like it's also a a testament to the time though, right? Because like it was so new that people were trying to figure it out and also like define themselves on that in that space mm-hmm. and it was far more like curiosity driven yeah as opposed to now it's like it's the social media presence or whatever is like a marker of who you are right. and your identity yeah you know what i'm saying there's so many that's been established and now we have these ecosystems where it's like okay you need to like get in where you fit in type right. of scenario as opposed to back then it was like oh shit like i can meet who and like oh man i'm discovering what and oh, this is so cool! I don't know about this. So it was like way more exploratory at yeah. that time. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like for all age groups. You know what I mean? People were just trying to figure it out and just like experiencing so many new ways of connecting. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's just like archaic. You know what I'm saying? It's like okay, cool. Like what? What's this person? Let me judge this person based off their profile. Like I, I know you already, right. yeah. and I've just seen pictures. I know you already. I know exactly the type of person you are. Wait, what's your horoscope too? Let me just like really figure it out right now. Yeah, yeah. Like the the, the era of surface, and it's also like a it business is. now too, for sure. Yeah, and and you know, um, it, it wasn't so much that with with MySpace mm-hmm. and, and those. It was really about. I feel like it was hella like the camaraderie was lit. Yeah, like, it was. You feel me? Exactly. like actually thinking who your top eight is. It's yeah, like, wait, hold on. You know <laughs> top eight. Yo, I had to kick Tom off one time. Yo. Get the fuck out, my guy. Uh, I appreciate you one. though. Which are creepy like back look. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yo, it like he was in class. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, literally he did in the white t-shirt. Tom the, over it, here like. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> just acting like he's he doesn't know the photos being taken but it is yeah. for real was, uh, was your confidence also um building as a as a creative too during this time going coming from alaska where it was just like a non-existent um in terms of the reinforcement yeah it was it was um interesting being acknowledged for my creativity and the way i dressed and mm. The way I, you know, people took a liking to my blog. You know, I would reinvent my blog. That was a thing. You know, it's like, when's your site drop in? When's your blog? What was your blog about? Um, I have one called, my first blog was called Skrillas for Rillas. It was on Blogspot. <laughs> yeah, that's that was, so fucking hard. Because <laughs> they used to call so me Skrillas. <laughs> I wish I knew about that when I was a little, like, squirt. You feel me? Skrillas for Rillas? That's yeah. so tight. <laughs> What? Really? I was kind of embarrassed about that. That's so tight. Yeah. Because <laughs> my name's a million, like a million dollars. Hey, oh, Skrillas yeah. for Rillas. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah so How'd you spell that? S K R I L L A H Z. And then the number four. R-I-L-L-A-H-Z. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. Bang. Get the H's, bang. get the fours, get the Z's. Gorillas. Get them all in there. You dig? Hella Z's. Hella Z's. Get them in there. Hella Z's. Yeah, and um, that was my high school blog, and then I reinvented it and did the Kishiro Collective. That was my college blog. I had a Zanga for a minute. Yo, hold on. I need to stop you. I need to stop it. This blog, what, 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 inspired you to start it and what did the blog kind of grow into because like that's so dope to me it's like a a diary and just like experience like you know i'm saying uh what's it called uh mood board all this type of like what what inspired you to do that man because i i love writing i'm i love writing i mean i i'm planning to write a book and i've always written and i've always been able to articulate myself in the Mm -hmm. way i wrote i always wrote letters and writing on blogs was a way for me to connect with people connect and like get myself out mm. and i still write I, I write in my instagram captions and i do submit in public you know in certain publications and stuff and people like ask me to write and I, and that's dope you know um but i did it um i would write about my feelings i would write i wrote a, i wrote about what i was interested in i would talk about what what i did you know, I would take photos and put those photos up there. I would show what I liked in fashion. I would show my experiences. And um, and I had people that would tell me, like, yo, thank you. Like, that showed me what it was like to be a carefree-ass black so girl. Like, dumb. I never knew what that looked like. And my friend Kesh is actually a pioneer of what a carefree-ass black girl looked like. And I met her from from my space and she showed me what it looked like and I always give her that respect like she showed me what it was like to be an artist to live as a freelancer artist um, watching her go through all the things that she did and um, we met from my space too I think I said that but um, yeah so that that was my blog and the day I stopped blogging I, <coughs> I stopped blogging because I had a breakup and I wrote about it and I, I wrote about it and I wrote this poem about watching, looking at my, my black chip nails against the wallpaper because he had told me it was over and it was in Philly. He was, he lived in Philly and we had met from this crazy marketing program that I worked for, for Budweiser. It was a secret program where they pick cool people that look cool and we would go up to people and talk to them and expense our, our cab rides for getting wasted and like go and get tables and do crazy stuff. So there was a whole bunch of us all over the United States. Wow. And we would link up for these crazy, these like ambassador meetings. Mm. And that's how we met him. And we met from exchanging music. Like we, we sat at a cafe before our planes left and he gave me music to listen to. And I gave him music to listen to. And then we just, we stayed together. Like we, that was how our relationship started. So anyways, he broke up with me and I was in Philly and I was staring at this wallpaper he had and I was like, my nail polish was chipped and I wrote this nail, like I was crying and I couldn't stop crying. Mm. And I wrote this poem about it, about staring at the, the chip nails against the paint and as my tears came down, like I had this whole thing and um, so many people had something to say about it. And oh. it, But it was like, I felt like nobody was reading my blog because I never really got comments and I found out how many people actually wow. were reading my blog. Mm. And it was really weird. It really made me feel really uncomfortable. Really? Why? I started getting opinions from people about about what's good for me and my relationship mm. and um, things. And I had people coming up to me that coworkers I didn't know that read my blog, friends, people that were like, I'm sorry about what happened. And I'm like, 
Oh, how do you know? Yeah, I didn't know. It started getting intrusive. I think I wasn't ready. Got you. I don't think I was ready. And I'm ready, more ready now than I've ever been. But For I've sure. always pulled back. Like I've noticed that about myself. And I had to mm. like realize, why are you? I would shut it down. Mm. I would never let myself get bigger on the internet. Like I would, something would happen and there's something, I feel something and I'd just shut it down. It's scary too. And especially mm-hmm. during that time, like so much uncertainty. Yeah. But it was also, it's also beautiful to see that you had built an audience, even though you weren't comfortable with it, but you were building an audience in a time where it was like building up to a digital era. Mm-hmm. Right. And you were free to like voice your being and found an outlet to be able to do so. Yeah. And show yourself to the world. Because one, one beautiful thing about the internet and just blogs and just things of this nature is how connected we really can be mm-hmm. in this era, right? And how, you know, the internet allows us to really like go global with it and just have a voice. Yes. Like, especially in this day and age, like we all have, and that's why I feel like doing this and having the podcast and just having different outlets where, you know, the voice is able to thrive. Yeah. Mm. Whether it's negative, positive, whatever, so many people use it for good, for bad, for whatever. But one of the beautiful things that we have is the ability to get our voice across and yeah. the ability yeah. to express ourselves. Um, and it's it's really interesting to see how you were, you know, pioneering that within your own being um, early on and then got a taste of what overexposure felt like and pulled all the way the fuck back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have to be ready for that. Like that's just like to me it's a it's a prime example of people that and it's crazy because you didn't do this with the intention of I want everybody to hear my voice. It was merely an outlet. But it's it's almost indicative to me of like people that go in the creative world with the like false notion of wanting to be famous. Yeah. Right? Like I want I want to be famous. I want the world to to hear me and feel me. And that's grand, but there's a lot that comes with that. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like wanting whatever your craft is to impact people is one thing, but wanting recognition and adoration from it is a whole nother like Pandora's box Mm -hmm. that people don't understand like the craziness about. Because once you open that access and the world's eyes are on you, everybody's opinions are on you too. And everybody's like what you're doing wrong and what you're doing right and it's really hard for people to handle yeah yeah you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and i don't think people think about that um and a lot of young people nowadays don't think about that like i always say this i want to be rich i don't want to be famous i feel you like i want my privacy boss up yo you know what i mean you feel me (laughs) like where the check at where the check at like i don't need to be a celebrity, I mean, I guess that's a blessing. If that were to happen, I don't want to be worshipped. I don't. I think that's weird yeah. to worship people. Yeah. Um, and I'm not. I mean, I didn't. It wasn't even like. Yeah, it just it just really freaked me out. It wasn't like a lot, but it was also just kind of like, wow, I opened a door and like actually people looked inside, mm. and I'm like, whoa, the power of the internet like slapped me in the face in that yeah, moment. Yeah, for sure. Crazy. Yeah. Did it make you adjust your approach? Or like, what what did that moment kind of do for you in terms of just expression in and of itself for you at that time? Because I, I feel like yeah. your identity was based on your ability to express yourself whatever in whatever category. Yeah, I kept it more like in a superficial kind of way. Like, I kept it more of like um, MySpace 
and photos and like music taste and stuff and um like i just kept it on the surface on the surface and i stopped sharing what was going on in my life mm. um at, at that moment and um and so yeah i i, I just kept it superficial because even from my space i remember i went to new york for the first time and people knew who i was there no one had never been there like man was in the street I was like yo you are like kashiro college kid like yeah. was, like from alaska i'm like hey you know and it was like just a couple things people but for sure but it was still like whoa this is what the internet does like i've never felt that impact mm-hmm. you know i used to do it use it to talk to other kids in anchorage like because it's too cold for us to go anywhere outside for <laughs> like, sure so we were like on aim like oh, what you doing good. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like like doing downloading illegal music and um, that was what we were doing um but yeah so one thing that from the what from my space that came was uh i was discovered by jeremy scott and he asked me to model for his uh his adidas originals campaign oh shit um and that was around me ending unlv i had been in this crazy alcohol program which that was a wild that was wild as fuck. Wait, like, how'd that happen? Um, I was, so my homeboy, Kyle, was working as a, um, in, in the advertising department. Oh, that program. Yeah, for, got for Anheuser-Busch. Yeah, I was working in that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I, I applied to be a CMT, which is somebody who I think goes to the different distributors and drops off materials. And he was like, hey, can you send your headshot? And then I was like, okay. And I sent a photo. And then I got this message from this woman that was like, hey, can you meet me at this? I don't remember the name of this bar, but their thing was to throw toilet paper every hour in the air. <laughs> like they would throw rolls of toilet paper and people would cheer. It was really bizarre. So I, feel you. Like, so I went there and it was an interview. And there was like eight or ten other people there that were like, they were cool. And like some of them were comedians. Some of them were musicians. Some of them were whatever. And we all hung out and we drank and she watched how we drank and essentially whoever got hired were the people who could continue a conversation and drink at the same time. Mm. And I was a winner. So <laughs> you had experience. Yeah. I had you experience. yeah. So that started that journey and that, and I, I met a lot of homies from that too. Um, people from all over the United States and whatnot. And, um, I had ended that job and I was working at undefeated, um, like my senior year, the end of my years, they had opened the store in Vegas. In Vegas. Yeah. Word. So I was working in Defeated and I wasn't really doing much. I didn't really know what I was going to do after school. But in, but in my sophomore year of school, I learned about styling. Like I learned about being a stylist and I was like, I'm going to be a stylist. And I learned about that from a girlfriend who was a photography major. And mm-hmm. she was like, you should be a stylist. And I was like, what's that? And she was like, well, you always have clothes. Like I'm tired of using my own clothes in my tests. Like bring your clothes to school tomorrow and i brought a little suitcase and i rolled it on campus <laughs> and Yo. i styled my first time wow and i was like oh this is for me mm. and i knew that i was gonna finish school but i wasn't gonna do what i had been doing in school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so anyways what happened was um jeremy discovered me and i was getting flown out to la some like here and there uh, to style, I styled for him for like, I mean, not style, I'm sorry, to uh, model for him and for the campaign. And in the, in it, when I look back at it, it was a weird time for me because I was, I was essentially exploited. You know, um, he told me he didn't have any money to pay me. I was never paid for any, wow. oh, any for of modeling. it for modeling. <clears throat> and it was like a global campaign. situation campaign. Oh, oh, wow, yeah. So 
it was a sad time for me in a weird way, but I couldn't really articulate why I was sad because I moved to L.A. and I was working as an assistant, making no money, and people recognized me. Yeah. And I had got a photo from a homie in Japan who had my my photo was all over the Shibuya store of Adidas. Wild. And I would my picture would be on the back of some magazines, and my picture would be on the all over the internet, and I would get a pair of shoes or a couple dresses. But he always said he didn't pay, couldn't pay me. And I didn't realize that I was exploited until my girl, one of my girlfriends, I told the story just like a couple weeks ago. And she was like, you were, and she's, you know, works in the industry. And she was like, you were exploited. Mm. And I didn't know. For you know, sure. I didn't know. You about, can't unless you experience yeah, it. Yeah, you, you think like, Or hey, have somebody yeah. tell you. You don't, yeah, I don't know how to ask for my worth. I mean, that's part of Sisters with Invoices. For yeah. sure. To be honest, like, man, if I had like, Somebody who was a model before me that was my friend or something that could have told me like, no, girl, like get money. Like get you should be getting at least like like I didn't get a hundred dollars. You know, crazy. And and it was wild, too, because even years later, like ASAP Rocky came up to me. He was like, yo, used to be my screen screensaver in school. Wild. Because kids all over like my picture was everywhere. It was really crazy. I got a friend who was from Australia. He was like, my your picture is printed in my cousin's bedroom like from that campaign crazy and it it really you know and that was another thing too was that i was so recognizable as a jeremy scott adidas model that i wasn't i wouldn't nobody would hire me for other stuff oh so i tried to get other work modeling while i was with um assisting as a stylist in la i had moved out like after doing the campaign one time i moved here Nobody would hire me, like nothing. Nobody would hire me, and I. It was really crazy because I worked for, and in the same time, I was I had assisted different stylists, but my longest running was being assistant to the Kardashian stylist mm. for almost two years. And even when I would try to get other work, working for that family, everyone would think I was a piece of trash. Like, they what would, do you mean? Because they just thought that they never respected that family. They, they just thought, what do they do? What do, what do you do? And I'm like, I do a lot. Like, you know, I was like, you know, you know, at the time, um, Monica had just Kim. It was like the complex cover. And I had started assisting her at E and I started working for her when she was styling Kim for complex. And I, I worked for her the longest and, and, you know, you know, I would try to get other opportunities. You know, um, I remember one time, I had got an opportunity to interview for uh editor of I think it was it was a, it was a really like a beautiful magazine like I think it was Leo Fisial or something I, I don't know and I drove all the way up to the hills to go meet with this editor I was so excited I was like I worked so hard I have all this experience and she was just kind of like well I mean are you sure you'll be able to handle this kind of work I mean because of what you already do and I'm like well what do you mean she's like well you work for reality stars like, oh. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, but I was like, I'm a really hard worker. I was like, I, I, I'm like, you know, I lead, I'm, I, I help her with everybody. I was like, my, I do returns. Like, I was like, I do, I was like, I made her website because I did make Monica's website. I built it from, you know, using my HTML. I would hustle websites. Mm-hmm. So, and then I was also doing her blog and doing the posts and doing the design for the posts. And I was integrating like, the function of click through where you can get money from people buying 
what the girls wore. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that at the time. And I was getting her more money. And I was like, no, I can do a lot. I was like, I'm super capable and this and that. And it was just kind of like, whatever. Um, nobody really took me seriously at all from both opportunities I had. Um, was that, I mean, obviously it's discouraging, yeah. but was there a moment for you where you're like, wait, why am I even doing this? What was driving you to continue doing it? Was it just because this is all you kind of were really knowing how to do? And you were like, I'm kind of too deep in it. These are where all my tools are. Or was it still driven by the passion that you really wanted to be mm. a stylist, that you really wanted to be this person? Where was it coming from? Because like when you can, and for anybody, when you can hear that no after no after no, and then being treated like shit the entire way, because it's a thankless fucking industry, for sure. yeah. especially in the entertainment industry, especially in L.A. where... Everybody is younger, better, and fucking can do shit for free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and will. And yeah. will, yeah. You know, um, what kind of kept you in in the arena? I just didn't want to give up. I couldn't give up. Like, I didn't, I just, I had this, like, I would just look at the pages of these beautiful magazines and just dream about that mm. and so this really was a dream for you mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> sorry it was, no. it was a crazy time i'm sure you know i mean and this is like i think these are these times are, are really the the ones that i think not only like challenge our spirit but also challenge what it is to actually have a dream yeah. You know, I yeah. think it's like it's so easy to look, I'm from L.A., right? I, right. Grew, I grew up here. Right. Born and raised. And throughout my life, I've seen you see tons and tons of people move here yes. with with this dream of like, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be an actor. I'm, and this is just we hear it a million times a day. Right. Oh, so many. And I think when that gets in this city, that gets challenged day one. Yeah. And then it gets challenged a thousand days in a row. Yeah, you're right. And that's what you have to survive. That's what you have to endure if you're really about what you're trying to do. And then along all that, it's not only like battling with trying to pay bills and make money and like actually have a fucking career. Right. But it's also staying mentally in the game while constantly feeling like shit. And I think one of the things, the biggest things that people deal with that actually don't talk about, aside from like, oh, I'm broke, I can't pay my bills. It's like, I'm a failure. I'm failing. I'm dealing with like the shame of this stuff. I'm dealing with the rejection. I'm challenging like, am I really this smart person? Am I really this responsible person? Why, like, am I really this talented person? Right. And then waking up and doing that again yeah. and again. And I think when, when we dive in, and, and and that's why I pose the, pose the question, because when you're in it yeah. and you, you get hit and hit and hit, and but you stay in the arena, and that's what, like, um, what I love is that it's the people that can show up and stay in there and, and stay in that battle mm-hmm. um, long enough and hard enough that things start to actually move in the forward progression. Yeah, absolutely. It's very small, but only when you do it for long enough, you're like, damn, I came a long way. 
Yeah. It didn't feel like this because I'm moving centimeters at a time, but at least we're we're taking some steps here. Right. Absolutely. Um, going through it, though, what were some things that really not only kept you going in terms of your spirit, but also like just kind of what moves were you making? What things did you have to rethink? How did you kind of navigate through it as well um, to actually start coming out on the other side? Yeah. Um, well, that per- period of my life when I was an assistant, I would, um, I thrifted a lot, you know, I would thrift, I would listen to a lot of music. Um, and I would do my own shoots. Um, you know, I, I would, um, yeah, I would, I, I enjoyed the underground scene. Like I would, I would just stay focused. I would just not you know, allow, stay active, stay active, just move. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was, I was dealing with, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was treated the best by her either. You know, like I would beg for my money, you mm-hmm. know, like she would just decide when she felt like she wanted to pay me. It's crazy that world. It's world. I didn't have health insurance. You know, I remember going to some Egyptians in Venice to get this tooth pulled out. And, that was really weird because it was like a dirty ass room and I didn't, you know, and I had two people, one person holding my mouth open and another person with pliers, like pulling my other tooth out. And I just kept it moving Mm. because I had to go to work. You know, I worked almost every day and Mm. sometimes like I just wouldn't hear from her. And I remember going to like third street promenade and applying to every single place on third street promenade. And at the time I had a boyfriend that I was living with and he had money and I didn't like because he had his family had money. Yeah. And it was a weird fuck for mind fuck for me because, you know, I had moved here because he was like, I, I love you. Like you should be with me. And it just turned to it was a super abusive time. So he was abusive. And then I was dealing with that work stuff that was so dysfunctional, too. Mm. And I was in this world with these people and. It wasn't me. You know, I would like duck behind the camera. <laughs> like I didn't, I never signed any of the releases for the show. I didn't want to be a part of that. People thought it was really cool that that was what I was doing. And there's, they were always very kind to me. It's not that. It's just, I, you know, I like you, you saw, I don't want that attention. For sure. That wasn't me. That yeah. wasn't like my lane of styling. That wasn't what I came here to do, but mm-hmm. it was a job. Mm-hmm. And people wanted that job so badly. You know, and I'm like, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. For sure. Um, but I was grateful, you know, and um, I just wanted to do my best. That's all I could do. You know, I would just, you know, I felt like I was trapped in between two worlds. Like home wasn't great. And then work wasn't either. You know, he was he would do really crazy shit. Like it would just get really crazy. Um, and, you know, at first we were living a reasonable lifestyle in Venice like we lived in a back house everything was really happy and then his mom came over and was like and I could afford that and then his mom came over and was like you can't live like this you can't live here like she wouldn't even sit down on our furniture oh, wow and I kind of like that really hurt my feelings you know and we had to move to a more expensive place mm-hmm. and I was like I can't afford that and he was like no 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 don't worry you know because he had his family would give him money every month. Mm. But then it turned into resentment. It turned into other stuff. Sure. You know, it wasn't what it was agreed upon, but also it was like, okay, well then I'll leave. Okay, well no, you can't leave. You know, and mm. like 
<laughs> I don't want to depress y'all. It, it was crazy. No, there were these this stories. This is life. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was wild. Like, you know, I had, um, yeah, I had like, you know, had like two abortions and would have to go back to work. And one really? of them, yeah, one of them, he was like, you know, I got him this job, like this side job. Like it was like a PA job because I had a lot of connections. Because I would meet people. Yeah. And I was like sociable, you know, and I would, people would t- recommend me for like, well, like all kinds of stuff, like, you know, and I would take it or pass it to him. And I passed him a job one time and it was not really anything that special. It was like in Anaheim, like a sit- peeing for somebody for one day for like $150. Yeah. And it was like a day that I had to, you know, to have my, take my abortion pill because we were going to Michigan and we were going to, you know, on a trip and in that place where we were going, there wasn't, you had to take a boat to get, like, it was a whole thing. Like, I didn't want to be like that out there in, mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. I, Absolutely. It was just too much for me. And like, I told him that, um, I, that was the day I needed that and he needed to be there with me. And he was like, you, why are you trying to sabotage me? Mm. Like, you just don't want to see me do be great or do anything. Do you? Mm. And then the whole time I went through that, he wouldn't speak to me. Like we were two strangers in home and, you know, I was really, I was really sad. I was really depressed. And, um, mm-hmm. I didn't really, and I, I would drink a lot and I would smoke a lot of weed and I felt like I could not have weed. Mm. I really felt like I could not smoke and I would get really mad if I didn't have it, you know? Um, and that was my coping because sure, I didn't have any money. Sure. That was my therapy. I didn't have any money and I was just like getting it from so many ends, you know? And you know, the final straw with me and him was, you know, we're living in this beautiful neighborhood in Santa Monica and it just felt like such a lie anyways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was ready to go. I was ready to to leave because like I would start packing my stuff and he would like rip it up and throw everything all over the place and tell me I was a dark and an evil person, that mm-hmm. I was not a good person. But I knew I wasn't that, you know. And I remember, you know, um, the day I really wanted to leave, I got my, I had a brand new laptop. I was able to get a laptop and I needed one really badly. And, um, oh yeah, before that, one day I was working on that blog and that was really the final. So I was working the blog and he was like making breakfast and I had to finish one post. I was like, let me just finish one post. And he looked at me and he took, picked up a hot cup of coffee and threw it in my face. Oh my God. And then he dumped the rest on my laptop. What the fuck? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was really rough. And so the day I wanted to leave, you know, I was begging. I wanted my money so bad from her. Like, I was like, I, I just need my money. You know, I didn't want to say why. Yeah. You know, but I was like, I just need my money. Like, like it was like three months, you know. And um, I started, I left. I, I One morning, like, he had left and didn't come back till 6 in the morning. And I, like, grabbed my laptop. And I started going to the to my car and he started to fight me like fight my bag and like we were going back and forth and I started screaming and I went to my car and I, sh- I shut the door and the window was open and he was like banging on the window and was like you fucking bitch like calling me names and I called his mom and dad and I was like this is your son and you hear this and I was like if you don't if you don't figure this out I'm calling the police and they were like we are so sorry like we are so sorry and they ma- managed to like keep us apart, and um, it was a really crazy time because then his friend like overdosed on drugs two weeks after that happened, and I had told him like maybe you should give some space from that person because 
he was just you know he was he was an addict like yeah. he, he was like he would puke in our bathroom and he was a great guy but i would just notice that these things were like he was doing like opioids and like other stuff and we visited him at rehab and things like that but it was just a culture and a lifestyle that i wasn't i was like what, what this isn't me like mm-hmm. these this kind of problems are like rich people problems mm. not to say that that's that but that was where these wow. people's lifestyles came from and it wasn't me and i was like in it for the wrong reasons everything was wrong you know and um in that time actually when that was happening um i got a call from from um e when i was assisting there because i would always be there a lot and they were like we want to offer you a position because they had canceled like daily 10 we want to offer you a position to style for e-news and i was like whoa like they're like we'll give you like four days a week and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like the timing of that is crazy. <laughs> um, and I told her crazy. out of respect, I was like, hey, I just want to let you know that I um, got offered this job and it, uh, like no disrespect, but you haven't been paying me. And then she was like, I don't know how I feel about that. And she called them and told them not to hire me. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. And they were like, they called me and were like, we just got a call from your you know, like from her and, um, we want to hire you anyways. Oh, oh. And so, <laughs> oh, man. I was like, I don't know how much more I can take. <laughs> no, <for> real. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. So it was pretty cool. Cause I was able to get my own apartment. Oh, and, wow. And I finally had insurance after not having insurance for three years. And I got rid of that. You know, I got rid of him and you know she never paid me like it was so stupid that's insane and, yeah Whoa. Well, what was it like for you just going through that period in terms of being able to see a light at the end of the tunnel while also kind of struggling with your own sense of worth and worthiness and identity and having these scenarios that like when you listen to them you know that it's like chipping away mm-hmm. at your identity and your spirit and your happiness and your even sense of value in existing i like mm-hmm. i literally i literally like obliterated into nothingness right yeah and i feel like that's a very valid and that feeling exists right but what how were you able to get through that mm-hmm. right and also like is there anything looking back on that period knowing that you've been through it and you found the strength to get out of it that you if you were somebody in that position again would do differently or would tell yourself differently to to handle it to kind of free yourself from that darkness right yeah um, I prayed so much, you know, and I say, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Because I got what I asked for, but I got it in the most, like the way that it was all a lesson, but I would, I would say there are no, don't ever take shortcuts. Mm. Like slow and steady wins the race. You know, also know what it looks like and what you exactly want. And manifestation is so real. Mm. I literally I had a really crazy flashback to when I was 16 years old and I used to love Aisha Tyler and I used to watch her on the soup all the time. And I always 
like gravitated toward comedy too i love comedy and you know something that i would love to do at some point you know when i'm when i could figure out how to navigate through that and mm. i loved watching wild on too and you know i would watch e and i said out loud i want to work at e and it fucking happened and i had a weird flashback that i said that um but that wasn't good for me either you know but i did i worked for somebody who worked at e and i got in there you know, I wanted to be in a relationship. I didn't really say what kind of relationship I wanted. I didn't say a healthy one. Mm. I got that. I wanted to move to L.A. Well, I got to L.A. Could I have waited longer and did it myself? Yeah. I think I got some roommates. I could have, but somebody offered it to me, and, and I was in such a downtime. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you know? And um. Vulnerability is real and our energy is um, when you're I notice that when I my my defenses are low, yo, the snakes crawl in Mm. and now I'm learning how to manage that Mm. and manage myself Mm. and um, being more hyper aware um, that that the devil comes in many had many forms, many faces and that a lot of times when, you know, things are too good to be true, they absolutely are, you know. And now that I know my path and my way and I, I had, you know, these things happen, um, my journey's been, yeah, you know, it's really gone in the way that it's supposed to have gone. Mm, mm. And, um, but you know, I don't regret any of this for sure. I don't regret any of this. And I'm so always willing to be straight up about the abuse that I've suffered. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was an angel either, you know, like, you know, I was, I was unhappy, you know, and why, I was, why do you think staying, that was? Because I was working, you know, for a person that didn't necessarily, res- you know, that needed me, but didn't respect me. Mm-hmm. And that anytime any opportunity came my way, she would smother it. And I was with a man that was possessive and obs- obsessed with me almost. And I thought that was love in a way. And I was entwined with what it, I was entwined with people that weren't my my core of who I was. That wasn't how I was raised. For sure. You know, and I, I, I mean, I was unhappy because I was also, but I also didn't know what it looked like. For sure. Mm -hmm. And that's That's a big part of it. Absolutely, that's a big part. There's a very fine line, and also vast distinctions of knowing one's worth. Absolutely. Right. Like. Yeah, you can have a job that seems like something on the outside. Yeah, you could be in a relationship that seems idyllic on the outside, but there's like a huge factor in knowing one's worth. And sometimes we don't know until we lose it all. Yeah. And that's okay. You feel me? But like, I think one of the biggest things that, you know, even a takeaway from this experience is like, we may know what's best for us. We also may not know how to attain that or how to let go of things that aren't until it becomes super unbearable. But sometimes the way the card falls, we need to go through that. Mm-hmm. But you can't know, you can't know when you, you put your foot down and you X marks the spot and you know what you don't want or what you won't let into your life and what you'll never stand for again until you've felt like it's been done to you. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And like, it's very real. Like it's okay for those things to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of us, some of us are able to really just like 
put our foot down and be like, yo, this I'm not accepting this. This is fucked up. You're fucked up. I don't care about all your craziness. I'm out of here. You want to act crazy? Here, I'm going to call the police right now. What's up? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But for everybody, it happens. Like, life is so unique amongst all of us. You know what I'm saying? There's so many probably young girls in the styling game right now or even dudes in the styling game right now. I know them that are not getting paid like they should, if right. anything, that are like having to deal with expenses and, and clothes not being returned and all that and putting it on their card and being asked out. Like, who yeah. are you going to sue? Who? You know what I'm saying? Oh, you, you didn't get paid for the last two months and that, what, you're going to bring money for a lawyer? What's up? Come right. after me then. They can't, right. You, can't. you know what I'm saying? And her. No, yeah. no chance. There was no chance. And then what? So that when I wanted to have contacts... I'm barred for sure because I could. I've seen that. I've heard of that for happening. sure. And like, and, and these yeah, worlds yeah, are really are that. are really driven by fear in a lot of ways, 100%. right? But at the same time, I feel like you know it's one of those things where you can't know what right is without going through wrongs. You know what I'm saying? You can't yeah, build your perfect world without knowing what that isn't. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You can't attain these things without understanding what the flip side of these things are so it's also a blessing to not only be have like not to to have experienced it because yes it is because the outcome but also being able to go through it and speak from experiences so that someone else may learn from it quicker than than you did or quicker than we did you know what i'm saying like that's the point of this life that we live, to be vulnerable and to express ourselves. I feel like if we express ourselves openly far more, the world would be such a better place yeah. because we're not hiding and trying to be the perfect versions of ourselves. Yeah. Like The imperfections within us are really what makes us special. Absolutely. Right? And there's beauties within all of this, you know, disarray. And, you know, the crazy thing for, you know, I know Joe has gone through it. I've gone through it like, you know, different levels and you've gone through it like of rock bottom give us freedom yeah i'm saying we really figure out what means shit and what doesn't mean shit and we're able to like keep it moving yeah absolutely i heard this um this quote recently that uh, life is supposed to wake you up Mm. and the way like i i interpreted that was when you're we're always guided by something right Mm -hmm. and if you're in that position, you're going. Life will come and wake you up out of it. But you, you gotta. What sucks is like you actually have to go through that, though. For sure, you know. Yeah. Um, but these things are meant to happen, and it's like, like you were saying, you kind of have. It's it's almost a blessing that they do if you can look at it with a different perspective, so you know because it's so easy to go off course. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's natural. Yeah. It's just like that's just what happens, and it's gonna happen. It's For it's sure. gonna take different shapes and forms. It's not like, hey, I learned everything from there, and now I'm good for the rest of my life. It's right. like, no, there's going to be these other hurdles. You're just gonna take those and put them in your your bag, and keep on keep on moving and, and handle it differently. But yeah, man, I mean, mm-hmm. I think those um, it's those dark times that do wake you up into to into those into the light you know sure. they really do oh yeah yeah i agree everything you yeah every i agree and i always always say this like don't ever i always tell, say this to people and i say this to myself don't ever think you're you're not entitled to to feeling and suffering and pain i think a lot of people they something bad happens and they start why me why mm. is this happening to me 
that's why, you know, Mike, we're, we're Mm. not exempt, you know, from suffering. And I mean, without suffering, how do you know what happiness is? For sure. You know, I truly know what happiness feels like in, in, as an age of 34, this was happening when I was 27, 20, 26, 27, you know, there was a lot of suffering happening around me at that time. It was really weird. Like we had these neighbors when I lived with that abusive boyfriend that were fighting all the time. It was a couple. It was like, you know, rent controlled. So some people's families just stay in the apartment. And this guy was a nuisance. Like sometimes he would, he would punk and cuss somebody out, try to threaten to beat the, beat somebody in the parking alley uh, with a, with a two by four. He was this wild dude, like wild dude. And I'm like, man, I wonder if people hear us fighting like the way they do, because we would fight, Mm -hmm. you know, and him and his girlfriend would fight and she was pregnant. Wow. And I remember one day that my boyfriend at the time was out of town and I woke up to, you know, they, I would hear the couple and I felt like it was a message because I would hear them and they were doing really well. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. They're doing well. And I remember one night I heard her come back to the apartment and he had another woman in the apartment mm. and she was pregnant and it was this whole thing. And they were like, fuck you. We're going to call the cops on you. Get out, bitch. And um, she had just had a puppy and they were they were attacking her. And I was I felt so bad for her. And then a week, four days, my boyfriend came back and there was a car blocking my car like with the hazards on. So homegirl came back and with the dog leash hung herself in the parking garage, the structure, um, pregnant. And my boyfriend ran out to give her CPR and everyone started running and screaming. And then homeboy was home and came out and like this, this, the way his scream was, I'll like never forget. Holy shit. And that was like, I still get chills thinking about that story. That's insane. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that happened. And that was like, I was like, whoa. And like, and I was, I felt like suicidal, like at that time too. I felt like, wow, wow, like, wow, like, wow. She, you know, I've never seen somebody do something like that. It was like right outside my window. So, um, yeah, like suffering people you know you just don't know what people are going through right and um not everybody can take that and you know one thing i thought about was like yeah i I, yeah i just i just didn't want to i didn't want anyone them to win you know and i that was kind of you know what got me through and then i would just see like light and, and little things you know and um and definitely getting that job was was a light for me mm-hmm. and um and so yeah so i got that job and i you know i was doing really well you know and i was making really good money um and i got promoted to 5 days a week and before you know it i went from making no money to making like around 130,000 to 150,000 a year and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know anything <laughs> yeah. about money. And it was a really crazy time for me. And I had an apartment. And, um, you know, I went on my first trip out of the country for the first time. And I had a good relationship with the person I was styling. And she was cool. I never took a day off in a year. I never wow. took one day off in a year when mm-hmm. I first got that job. 
and I went to London and I was so inspired and I have so many beautiful friends out there that, um, and it helped me see more of where I was and who I wanted to be. And that trip really changed my life, you know? And I, um, it was Larry, Zach, like a lot of friends that I had met, um, from them coming, like there was an Adidas shoot and we met and we're still friends to this day. Um, and I came back and how crazy is that full circle? Like Adidas shoot. Yeah. One, 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 yeah. one broke you in the beginning and the other changed your life. Right. It was really crazy. Like, and we were, none of us were getting paid for that shoot too. It was like a bunch <laughs> of us kids there. And like, I made so many friends at that shoot and, um, and we all hung out like they were just in the town. We just hung out and like we party, went to mustache, like and all this stuff. And so I came back and I just started to notice like I was really I was doing really well. I had ideas because I didn't have money. They wouldn't give me really much money to. But I had a FedEx account. So I would like email like designers in different countries because I don't understand why it was cool to spend three hundred dollars in FedEx shipping, but not give me three hundred dollars. To, to go. buy clothes. Yeah. But like, add all of this up. Yeah. It's a lot of money. For sure. <laughs> so I had that idea to p- cover people's shipping to let them me borrow clothes. And, um, you know, the girl I was styling got a lot of attention. And the lead person on the show wanted me to style her. And out of principle, my mom and dad were like, no, you should be loyal to her because, like, she's the reason why you're, why you're there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. I'm not going to do that you know um and in it i started to uh you know change the department around a lot and organize things but i also they wouldn't give me like a title of of or nobody had a title and i was the youngest stylist there a lot of them had been there for like 10 years yeah so i started to feel like all right making money i'm just blowing it you know i i was like drinking a lot I was, you know, just, I didn't really, I I don't know, I didn't really, I still never really unpacked what was going on with the last situation. Yeah. And yeah. all of that shit. You know, I just like. Jumped set, into jumped a, into a new Jumped one. into, like, literally I'm sitting in this apartment with garbage bags and an air mattress. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm living on my own now. <laughs> you know, for the for first sure. time in my life. That's crazy. Yeah. And, um. And so I was like going out and, um, you know, like wanting to, you know, doing stuff on the side and I wasn't really taken seriously at all. Um, and I was really unhappy and I started to realize I I was, I was happy and I was unhappy, but I was like, well, you're making money. You wanted money. Like you got it. Like, but why are you unhappy? Mm. And it was like eating away at me. Mm. And I started feeling unhappy at that job because just it started to become revelatory how racist and how dysfunctional that environment was and mm. the things that would be said to me and the things that would be, you know, and I was moving up and I was considered, um, I, I can say this confidently, I was considered one of the best stylists there. I was. I could say that. For sure. You know, and if there was anybody that was trouble, they would send them my way. Mm. You know, I got the difficult people, you know, and which I thought was kind of racist too. Like you were just going to throw me like people can, they can be fragile, but I can't be fragile. I have to be tough, Mm. you know, and just things like, you know, just listening to the dissection of bodies, talking about somebody's cellulite for sure. Jennifer Aniston's legs or, you know, Angelina Jolie or people's faces and breasts and listening to, um, people get really excited about death. Because if there was a celebrity death, you would make overtime. 
Jeez, like, the fuck? like Robin Williams dies and that's extra coverage, right? Oh my you God. notice how they go all day? Yeah. Yeah, that's overtime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and a lot of people at that time wanted to work at that company too. And I just never really felt like I fit in there. You know, and, and like it's also crazy how like personal happiness has nothing to do with your income or your title or any of that shit. Like when you really think about mm-hmm. it, no, I think people don't. They need to understand to separate money. Like money is, I'm like I have a lot of things to say about money, but I learned that money is not happiness whatsoever. For sure, and I knew a lot of rich, miserable ass people for real. Mm. Like you know, a lot of people just shopping online all day and, um there was just this culture of trying to be around me of people who I was so in myself still, but there's a lot of people that were trying to align themselves with this celebrity culture that they would never be a part of. And to me, I thought that was really weird, Mm -hmm. you know? And I would like, you know, go to the museum and do little things on the side, like, and like keep myself out of shit. But anyways, it was just, um, it just got really weird being, you know, asked, Oh, you know, they're talking about a rap song and be like, Oh, million, do you know the lyrics? What are the lyrics to that Biggie song again? Why are you assuming that I know the fucking lyrics? Oh, well, you know, another conversation. Oh, well, what Paula Dean wasn't that bad, was it? You know, like, did wasn't that bad. Yeah, like, one of my clients said that. And I just was like, Are you <clears throat> kidding me? Like, I would always have these approach, these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I would like token, you know, as a person. And I would always be real about it, but I was always like, Why? Why? Yeah. Why? Like, um, so like at the end of it, like it was really weird. I was really unhappy. And I, one day I saw like Whoopi Goldberg on TV and it like changed my fucking life. Like I saw her on the view and I had made this decision that I didn't, I didn't want to be at E, but I also wasn't looked at as seriously as a stylist. Everyone, mm-hmm. like if you, you know, like nothing against anybody that works there, but if you want to do fashion, that's not, that's not going to get you anywhere. Mm. Also, I was told from the beginning of me moving to LA that if I want, I wanted to do editorial, I, I always felt like I was editorial stylist. They were like, well, that's not happening in LA. There's no fashion in LA. I've heard that a thousand times. People saying there's no fashion in LA. If you want that, you're going to have to move to New York. Yeah. You know, and I always felt discouraged. Like, well, I guess I have to work at E, you know, because I've never met an editorial stylist before. Yeah. So, I saw Whoopi and she was wearing these pumps, these polka dot pumps with socks, with jeans, a Knicks jersey, and like a white shirt. And I like literally screamed. And I was like, oh my God! Like, what? <laughs> this is mind blowing! Like, like, and like, I was like, well, she's a boss. She's leading the show. And look at her. She's doing whatever the fuck she wants. I was like, I want to be like that. And I never, like, Corley, like, I always loved her. You know, I always watched Bogus a lot as a kid. Like, I always, like, was drawn to her. She never had eyebrows. Sister act, like... Sister act, right? Yeah, Yeah, all of that. And, like, I used to draw my eyebrows on because it would make people feel weird because I don't really have eyebrows. And I always, like, thought that was cool she didn't have eyebrows, you know? And, like, people would always have something to say about her appearance, but she's just stayed with herself. Mm -hmm. She never wavered. And if you notice that she's whoopy throughout... Whatever she does, whatever role she's in, she still looks and like has her hair the way she wants it. Like, I just ne- like it all just like kind of came tumbling down on me. And I was like, I started doing research. 
And I was like, man, this is it. Like, I was like, it was like a light bulb click. I love this. For real. <laughs> I, love, I love that it came from Whoopi. Yeah. For real, though. You feel she's me? She's a Don Dada. Yo. Whoopi is a Don Dada. Oh, <laughs> gosh, she's a G. Yeah. yeah for real. <laughs> a real G, man. And that was like the moment that I was like, that's what it looks like. And it was cool, too. At the same time, my friends from London, one of them that I had hung out with, he on Facebook me and was like, hey, there's this girl that can't work for this Vogue shoot. Do you think you want to assist? Like she bailed and introduced me to um, Ayako Yoshida, who was the editor and her husband is Michelle Comte. And um, it changed my life. Like, I love her so much. Like, I started assisting her for like no money for a hundred dollars and taking using my paid time off to assist her on. Um, they had moved from Switzerland to LA mm. and they were shooting for like Vogue Italia, um, 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 the official, uh, like just various publications that I, so I started assisting her. And the editorial work came the to The editorial you. work came to me, yeah. <laughs> and, and she took me under her wing and I was like, I was so happy, you know, like making no money, but like, you know, we did like the campaign for like the Dorchester collect. Like, Let me ask you a question. Yeah. What do you think separated the fact that you weren't making any money, but you still felt like you were taken in? Mm-hmm. right like yeah. there's been experiences where you weren't making money and you felt abused and used and chewed up and spit out do you think that because like there's also one of the like i feel like the worlds of like fashion music entertainment like this is these are the fields of perpetual uh what's it called um fuck hold on it's literally perpetual um i'm literally i have it at the tip of my tongue of what's it called? <laughs> like, where like, you where you literally have to pay your dues. There we go. We found mm, it, y'all. Okay. It's like literally pay your dues forever. Yeah. Right? Um, where opportun- different opportunities come from those scenarios, and then there's moments where you have to put your foot down. But what was the difference here in that you were you've already had all this experience? Right. A new opportunity came about. For very well established publications. Yeah. It was one of those scenarios where you just had to seize the moment, right? But you also weren't getting compensated necessarily, maybe as you would, mm-hmm. but you felt a lot better about it. Mm-hmm. Like, what was that? What was the difference there? Oh my God, a huge difference. Wow, it was actually alarming the difference because I also started to see what it looked like God was showing me. Because at work, I was getting paid really well, but I was being treated like. It was catty. There's just, just really crazy things were happening. Like walking in on my client with a whole nother stylist. Like, you know, like it was like it became a reality show. And and even I was kind of taught to take it because I was getting paid this money. I'm working for, for them in this editorial s- scheme, um, assisting for no money almost. And I was so happy because... I just saw what it looked like, the professionalism that like the, the, there was zero drama and they were doing gigantic things Yeah, like Roberto Cavalli ads. I, I, you know, advertisement that I helped on and I saw how a well-run machine, like I just saw that they hired, it felt like a family. They hired people that they liked. Everybody got along. Everybody was on time. Every, there was like a level that I was ready to be a part of. And mm. I was, I appreciated, you know, like he's like a world renowned photographer. She's an incredible editor and they're so kind. Mm. And it was like, like 
you know, it was cool, you know, and, and I learned, yeah, it doesn't have to be like that. Mm -hmm. That's where I learned that, you know, and that was so valuable to me. Mm -hmm. And that's, I learned a lot too, that I was happy to work for a hundred dollars and wait for net 60, um, from Condé Nast for being on those sets and having that experience because I didn't know what it looked like. Mm. I was on like shoots for this company other company for NBC that was a shit show, you know, and it was, these are more visible. There's artistry behind it. And the way that they run this show is, is so dope. Like when perfect, what professionalism looked like. Awesome. It's, it's crazy how one, how, I was going to say how happiness guides us, but actually how unhappiness guides us for yeah, sure. That's so true. Like, and you know, we're so, especially like when you talk about the, the just the topic of career and the choices you make of like, I, I want to be this. So I'm going to do these things and go through this road, even though you're unhappy and you can follow all the steps. You can read all the books. You can be like, I did that. They told me to do this. Then I got to do that. But really, if you just follow your intuition of like what's actually real with you, yeah. your happiness, your values, your personality, yeah. like those actual core things, that will guide you. Not the... <coughs> not, you it, alone in front of a mirror. Yeah. It, it, it's not so much like, okay, I got to... First, I got to get that. Then I'll go to that title. Then I'll jump there. Two years, boom, to that company, up this rank, work. For, it's like... Because who the fuck are those for? Yeah. Well, and you can do that and be totally unhappy in your in experience and none of it matters. Yeah. And then you strip all that away and you get real with rediscovering who you are. Mm -hmm. Especially for you, someone who's been away from it so long. And like, it's so crazy because starting from your, your boyfriend from Oakland... It's like you've been in this cycle of just getting out of one bad situation to what is the light at the moment to another situation mm -hmm. that's the light of the moment to the moment to the moment. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like without kind of unpacking that bag, mm -hmm. but you just got to get out, right? Yeah, so yeah. you're just jumping right in. Now you're in and this is better for now, mm -hmm. but it seems like you got yourself to this level where you finally got those things that your brain told you you should have to be happy. Like these are the things that equal happiness. I'm in such a shit situation right now that if I can just get this, I'm going to be happy. Right. And you get it. And it's like, no, I'm still fucking unhappy. Exactly. Yeah. So what really does make you happy? And it's like, that's when you have to stand in front of the mirror Noosh. for sure. And, and that, that's when you say like, okay, let me strip all this shit away. Yeah. And once you start to kind of do that, even if it's a, like subconsciously, but you let that guide you, you like surrender to that. Yeah. The opportunity comes. Yeah. But it doesn't look like what your brain told you success is. Right. It actually looks the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's like, why the fuck are you going to do that? You're not getting any money. You're leaving this. This is a huge opportunity that's secure with this big, huge corporation that like, really? It's it's interesting to dance in that like like Absolutely. juxtaposition, yeah. you know, like what's truly giving you joy, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and through that too, did you feel not just career wise, but did you feel for yourself like you were becoming now the person you really want to be? 
I was I wasn't there all the way. Mm-hmm. I was getting there though. Yeah. It was like the first step that I was like, wow, okay, you can work and you can work on these sets. You can do this. Like you you have right, well it is here now. It's coming here now. Like what everyone said you wouldn't be able to do in terms of being part of that world um, of like fashion and, edit, you know, doing editorials and things. I was like, wow, wow, this just fell in my lap. And it, it gave me hope. Um, mm. it, it, but That's I, important. It was so important. But I also had so much more like of a journey to go from that point. Um because what happened was I was assisting in doing those that kind of work and still working this other job like mm. full time. And she knew I worked there and she was cool with it. Yeah. So finally the day came. I had a friend that passed away um, in Vegas. He was a Sebastian, sick ass trip hop DJ, like a friend from like the scene from back in the day. And I told one of my clients that I wanted to I need to go to the funeral. Um, and she gave me a hard time about it. You know, it was really weird. Like. She wanted me, she was playing games with me. She wanted me to style her for this shoot for this magazine. And I was the only one that wasn't going to get a rate. But I talked to the other girls because they were my friends, the hair and makeup. And they're like, oh, I'm getting a thousand. Oh, I'm getting a thousand. But why would there be no money for me? Yeah. So she was pressuring me to make her these outfits and be there for her and this. And I was just like left. I didn't, I didn't do it. I left her clothes. I was like, it's, it's not, it's not a part of this. And she had been doing really bizarre behaviors, really crazy things. Like she would come in and get dressed and, you know, she's on a reality show. And like when people are on reality shows, there's a really bizarre dysfunction that happens where they think that they're still there <laughs> and they create these storylines and plots that you become a part of. I feel you. Like she had me like have a fake email and get her free veneers and act like I was her assistant. You know, and I was like fine with it, but it was just all these things were happening. Like we would get dressed, she would come in early when she wasn't supposed to and put an outfit on and then go and have her hair and makeup done. And because she needed attention, she would go stick her whole head in the sink and be like, I didn't like that. Can you do it again? Get the clothes wet. The hair would be wet. And then all of us would have to start all over again. And this was happening and they would do nothing about it. There was weird things happening, you know, and, um, and so I told her I'm going to funeral, whatever, and she started playing games, like um, having the assistant saying the assistant was styling her, doing all this stuff, and the assistant was texting me. I was like, I'm, I swear, I'm, I, she's, it, I told her not to tag me. Like, she's pulling me into these situations. Like, I feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I was like, stop. I was, I, you know, I was like, I wrote her. I was like, leave, leave her, like, leave her alone. Like, you know, you know, I'm at a funeral. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And she was like, you bailed on me. And I'm like, I didn't bail on you. And it turned into this whole back and forth where essentially I said, you know, you don't, your downfall is that you you don't understand what, um, you have no empathy and understanding of what other people go through besides, you know, your own personal, yeah, gains, whatever. And um, yeah, I got let go. So I got let go. And at that time I had another boyfriend and, um, you know, he was all right guy, but he was, he had his own issues. Like he had, Fought in Afghanistan and Iran, um, and uh, he worked for the government, and he had some trauma from that. He had been injured. He had like shrapnel in his eyes, and he was, um, and he drank a lot, and he had like issues with drugs. And then it was bringing me into that world, and I kept, you know, saying I didn't want that, you know, in the house. I didn't want that, and it just kept continuing and continuing and continuing. 
and um and then I, I lost my job and he was supportive of me, but I felt I, I didn't even have it in me. I didn't even I couldn't get any work mm-hmm. because I've been at this job for so long. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was really cool, though. At E, a lot of people fought for me. A lot of people, you know, went upstairs and and um, were like, how could you fire a million? And, you know, that felt great that I was fought for. and I felt a lot of love. I had so many friends that I'm still friends with from that place. And I love that, you know, but, um, so anyways, I fell into a depression. I couldn't even get myself to do anything. And then I couldn't, I didn't know how to be a freelancer. I didn't, I couldn't get another job. I didn't know what to do. And I was just nothing. Like Mm. I had no money. I was getting unemployment. And then I broke up with him. Like that was a really heavy breakup. Mm. Um, and then, um, like shout out to the internet because i was able to translate russian that he was talking to a girl in russian and i was like able to translate it and he got caught up (laughs) shout out to google translate yeah shout out to google translate because that was lit and then it was kind of funny though at the same time so one day i he got out i got him out my house and we broke up and i one day i woke up and i just was like i have to go like i this is not my life here and um, I called my dad and I told him I'm ready to go. And he didn't ask me any questions. He was like, okay. Um, okay, cool. Um, oh, I'm sorry. And before that, I'm so sorry. I forgot this was a big part that happened was after I got let go, I was in a parking lot in the gas station crying. And I just was like, I just needed something. I just needed something, you know, like to remind me. And I got an email from Ayako asking if I wanted to um, be her assistant, her first assistant for the series of campaigns for the Dorchester collection of hotels, which is like the Beverly Hills Hotel, the the Dorchester in London, the Plaza Atene, and um, there's one more hotel here. They have another, the Bel Air. Okay. So it would require travel. Like so we were going to go to Paris, London. I was like her first assistant and it was like my light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. So I spent two months doing that. Like I learned about carnets, about um traveling across the con- oh, to other countries with clothes and all the things that required that. I I managed assistants, I helped her. We did these whole all these campaigns and it was such a beautiful experience. Oh, it's just something. To something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, you need something. It seems like it's like catastrophe. Yeah. Like, oh, like catastrophe. <laughs> like Literally. it's not like it's like uh, transition. And then this happened and then that happened. Uh, and then I got it's like I lost everything. And then a little light came. Yeah. <laughs> but that, you know, That's just, my life. Uh, just career <laughs> fell apart. The relationship busted <laughs> down. I was left with not a damn thing. And then I got this little email, though. And then I got this opportunity, though. I was just praying for something to come in. And something just went up in the mic. Yeah, that was my life. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, wow, it's really crazy to s- say my whole life story because right. um, I haven't done this and um, had been able to process the outside perspective of the light and the dark. For you know? sure. Um, it's heavy, too. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's why I was like, oh, there's, God, there's, there's strong, real. strong, dark, yeah. strong light. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I've noticed that about my life. 
I have this strong, really dark, strong, strong light. dark and dark and lightness in yeah. my life. I have like paranormal stuff that happens to me too that are like signifiers that I always notice like when something bad is like not bad when I'm in a situation where I shouldn't be with that person. Paranormal stuff happens around me. Really? Like that boyfriend I told you about in high school? Yeah. Um, the one that went to jail? Yeah. Um, it was around the time when he was cheating on me. Because it was weird, too, because I have, like, a bit... I have a sense, you know, like, a bit of ability. It runs in my family. Yeah. Like, I saw this girl at this other school that I was going to. I was going to that, like, career center. And I looked at this girl, and I looked at her, and I was like, I was like, oh, he's cheating on me with that girl. And my mm. best friend was like, what the fuck are you talking about? It was her. Oh, Never wow. seen this girl in my life. Stop. It was really wild. And at that same time, I would do things in the house. Like, I remember, okay, so I would, like, I would cut Vibe magazines up and paste the pictures all over walls and plaster my walls. Like, I would always, that was, like, my cleansing. Like, I would clean my room. I was always obsessed with, like, organizing furniture. Mm-hmm. Like, I was that kid. I would come home. My parents would come <laughs> home and the whole living room was arranged. I'd be like... And they'd be like, cool. Like, they didn't give a <laughs> yeah. shit. Like, I would just do weird stuff look like this. Yeah, yeah, look at all of this. Thanks, honey. Yeah, they had no time for me. Um, but I, I love doing that kind of thing. And I was doing that in the, the bedroom. And um, I never, this never clicked to me until this last relationship, the, the Russian guy that I, was, I had been seeing. So this happened during that relationship of the guy in high school. So I was cleaning and I was picking up some tacks on the floor and I had rolled a vacuum in the room. And the vacuum was rolled up. And I'm sitting there or whatever. And that shit just turned on by itself. And it wasn't plugged in. What I started screaming. I, like I couldn't stop screaming. Like I could not stop screaming. And I ran to my mom and my mom was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, the vacuum, the vacuum. And my sisters were just like, like their eyes were like crazy. And like another time, and it was only when he was doing bad things to me, like or cheating and like things were bad. Like, like uh, I came home from work. And I was in the living room and I was on the computer. The computer was like right next to the television. And it was Sunday. So there was paper all over the table, like newspaper everywhere. It was a mess. Yeah. And I was like writing this paper and the cable was on. My parents would always leave the TV on. And all of a sudden the volume just turns all the way up by itself. So I was like, what is, what is this about? So I, I, I think, oh, maybe the newspaper is weighing down the remote. Yeah. And I right, go right. and pick up the newspaper. The, the remote and it's in my hand like this like just and the channel start flipping and i was like i just took my ass to bed i was like i'm just gonna go to bed yeah, I'm, going. I'm just gonna go to bed and like something like that happened with that abusive boyfriend where all of a sudden one day it was like really weird we had all the windows closed and we had a guest there were literally 50 flies in the house oh full-grown flies Ooh. out of nowhere what and we f- that's like a Fargo moment where like the fish come like flying up from yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And we all spent we were like freaking out. We thought it was the trash. We thought we were very clean. Like and the friend was like, What in the fuck is happening? We just spent the weekend killing f- flies. That's crazy. Full grown flies. Um so with this last boyfriend, what started happening was this channel started flipping on the TV. And I remember I was like, Oh, that's a sign. That was kind of weird. And I had had something else happen in that apartment where I had a pair of shoes where I couldn't find them. And um, one day they were like in a box that was closed with a bunch of shit on top of it. Like I found them in there. And that, that was the only time that happened. 
and then nothing had happened since. So I was like, okay. So he was like, I don't believe in that. I don't know what you're talking about. And he was kind of playing around. He was like, whatever this is, like, I don't believe in you. I don't know what you, you know. And I was like, well, I was like, I was like, this, I was like, I don't know. I was like, I think it's a sign. And I don't think you should say that out loud. Like, I don't think that's good. Yeah. And um, he went to take a bath because he had like problems with his, like from the war or whatever. And he would take a bath and it was a dimmer. It was like the light was um, super dimmed. Mm -hmm. And um, within two minutes, he had ran out, like no clothes on, ran out. And he was like, do you have an auto timer? I'm like, you've lived here for like how many months? Like, what the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? The light flipped on by itself, like all the way up while he was in the bathtub. Wow. And he was super freaked out. And then other stuff started happening with like bottom bottom drawer of the oven, like like flew open and like all the cat's toys were like out and the cat was playing. He was like, who are you playing with? Cat was playing with something mm. and um, stuff that was happening. And I I actually was okay in it. It was really weird because I think I'm so used to it. Yeah. And it always happens when there's like something that I need to change in my life. Mm. So I kind of was, I sat in it. And as soon as he left, nothing happened. That's wild. Like nothing happened. So um, I decided to leave LA after that breakup. And my dad came and I just had packed up everything by myself and he didn't say anything. We just, I moved to Vegas and I still live in Vegas. So I moved to Vegas and, um, I fell into a super crazy depression. Mm. Like I like couldn't, I was so embarrassed. I just felt like a failure. Yeah. 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 You know, I felt like, damn, like I'm living with my parents again. I'm back here. I don't really know anybody that much anymore. You know, like I didn't mm. really have too many friends. Um, I decided I wanted to quit styling. I just thought maybe this isn't for me. And I, I gave it up. Like I, I begged my friend Kesh who had um, got an opportunity to do a show in Switzerland with a small gallery called 1.1. I'm still friends with Deborah. She's amazing. She's half German, half Ghanaian, and she speaks like five languages. And she was an art student in um, uh, Basel. And she uh, asked Kesh to be in a show. It was going to be like, and she was going in, Kesh was going into music at the time. And I was like, let me manage you. Like, I just begged her, like, let me manage you. I can manage you. And like, we had talks and she was like, fine, you know? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm a manager now. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, styling, yeah, you know? I'm a manager. <laughs> I was, I realized that wasn't for me. <laughs> um, it was a cool journey though. And it was a cool way for me to get out of the country and explore and get my mind off of styling. And I had really decided that I didn't want to do it. Mm. So we went to London. We're in London for a month. She was recording. And then we went to Switzerland. And we get to Switzerland. And we have to drive. Like her, our friend Deborah, who's running the gallery, has her brother's car. Yeah. And she brings it. Her brother drops, leaves it at the airport with the keys. And then we get to airport and we have to go to, um, I think, Geneva. And she's like, oh, I can't drive. And then Kesh can't drive stick. And I didn't. I end up driving us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, because I had that Asian racer boyfriend. <laughs> so I knew how to drive stick shift. So I drove us around Switzerland in that car and we had like lots of ups and downs and we she had different installs 
with sound and um you know full immersion installations mm. and i would help her do those installs and we met a lot of people and made a lot of friends and like also it was like a lonely time because switzerland like dating is like whatever out there it's not happening like at all people are pretty culturally i feel like awkward in terms of like communicating that and for sure like i would get on tinder and it'd be like weird sex shit <laughs> <laughs> like do you want to come to my dungeon and i'm like not really <laughs> um and that was weird and i couldn't speak you know like i mean if you're in basel you have to speak german that's more german side and then like it's more french speaking in lausanne and geneva mm. And, um, yeah, but it was, it was an adventure. It was a cool time. Yeah, and probably much needed too, just to, just to kind of like change up your environment, change sure. up like your activity, be around new people, Absolutely. healthy people, all those things, you know? It was, yeah, it was lit. And I actually learned, wow, I want to be an artist. I am an artist. I can do this. If I can do this for her, I can do this. Yeah. And that's when that light bulb clicked for me. Mm. Cause I had been repressed since I was a kid when I was told that I wasn't, you know, when I quit, like, art painting, painting. Yeah. yeah. So I got back and um, I decided I was going to paint mm. and I didn't have any money. Really? I was kind of like, it was the whole situation. I was left out there kind of broke and like, just, it just, anyways, things we, you know, we were good, but it didn't end on the best note. And I got back and I decided I'm going to paint. And I had got this idea to paint below the knee because of Whoopi, you know, and like her shoe game and her expression of feet. And I like just started looking at the way people express themselves in their footwear. And it really clicked. So I just started staying up late at night, listening to Paranormal Podcasts by <laughs> Jim Harold. That's one of my favorite. And <laughs> Get the lights. Yeah. Get the lights. <laughs> yeah, I would hold that they were, no, I'm like, I don't want to wish that because it could happen. So, um, <laughs> um, and yeah, my, my parents just supported that. They supported me in that. Awesome. And I just painted and I couldn't stop painting and I did like 22 works. Wow. And then I decided I'm going to have a show. That was my goal. I was like, I'm going to have a show incredible and i was still driving back and forth here getting whatever i could get like and the one thing that really helped me is like i got this like little job with converse and it paid me pretty well and and i was going around asking and i had a lot of art world friends too but nobody was really fucking with me like that and the only person that was was maceo at news twos like um that's where i had sisters within voices last night Mm. and my friend dana introduced us and um he was like yeah i'll let you have a show and awesome. That's from Lorenzo had his thing, right? Lusus, yeah, Lusus yeah, Gallery, yeah, yeah. 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 Lusus Gallery, yeah. Yeah. yeah, such an amazing community space, so welcoming. Awesome. No, like you know, the art world is really toxic and prestigious and exclusionary. For sure, you know, especially for people of color and like women, black yeah. women artists and sure. people. And but I don't know, he really creates <laughs> and allows you to use that space, and it's such a beautiful thing. And I really, really honor and like love awesome. Maceo for that. So I decided I was going to have this show and I make, you know, got made like, you know, printed my work. I did Whoopi's banana shoe. She wore a banana shoe um, for Sister Act, the opening of Sister Act, which is like iconic to me. Incredible. Yes. Insane. Um, And I did this show and it was really, really dope. I, I did it. I put my whole heart and soul in it. My sister came from Alaska, bartended. She works in like. She's amazing. She works in the food and beverage industry mm. and um, she runs one of the best restaurants in the state of Alaska. Awesome. And she started from the bottom too. Like she started as a server. She's always been in that industry. 
And I think my parents didn't really see that it could be a career for her. And she's, um, you know, upped her numbers in that restaurant by like 400% oh, wow. being manager of that. And we've Amazing. learned our management from our, my mom is a really an excellent manager awesome. because my mom moved from Nordstrom's. Um, and as another part of the story that I didn't tell was that my family ended up moving to Vegas. Yeah. Um, my senior year and everybody was living in my apartment. Oh, <laughs> wow. Time, wow. Which totally killed my hookup game. Yeah, because when you said you, <laughs> you said like I'm coming home and then you're like, Yeah, so now I'm in Vegas, I was like, Oh, so they live in Vegas now. Yeah, they live in Vegas and I yeah. skipped that part of the story. No, we're good. They wanted a new life. You awesome. know, and it was a weird time in Vegas because it was like when everybody was allowed to have home mortgages. That was like when the bubble yep. like blew. Mm-hmm. And it was wild because a lot of people were moving off campus because they were getting home loans. Yeah. Like, and it was crazy. I was kind of like, this is kind of weird. Yeah. It was really weird. They were giving us, people were getting crazy loans. Like yeah. $60,000 loans. Insane. Like I knew kids that were like just buying cars outright. Crazy. With their student loans. I was getting a lot. I'm in debt. I was getting a lot of loans. I'm one of those people, you know? And um, in that, there was a lot of devastation because sure. my parents got a house and they had a subprime and it, they, you know, Wells Fargo, like, fuck you, by the way, like, took advantage of a lot of minority families, For a sure. lot of families and um, dev- devastated my family. They lost that home, like, yeah. and the interest kept going up and up and up. The mortgage kept going up and that whole neighborhood looked like a whole different place. Insane. And like, not to be depressing again, but like, a signifier like it was that it got really that neighborhood was great and then it turned really weird like our across the street neighbor came out and like shot himself in the head in the driveway and my sister and my dad my dad was taking her school and clocked that it was really crazy wow things started changing like I got out of school and I couldn't for life me I tried to get a job in marketing or doing whatever like I couldn't get anything I couldn't nobody wanted me I I had this degree, I, just nothing I could do with it. It was really weird. It was a really weirdly dark time. Like, so anyways, so, uh, my parents moved, um, and my mom ends up going to Nordstrom's, working her way up to Barney's, and now she's head of tailoring for Tom Ford in Las Vegas. And she's been doing really well. Awesome. And, um, shout and, out to Yoko. Yeah, shout yeah, out to what Yoko. Up, Yoko? Yeah. Hey. yeah, she is an amazing woman. And my dad, he's... He's doing great too. He's found himself and awesome. they have community and I'm happy to see them happy because I don't, I don't really feel like Alaska was the happiest of times for my parents. Sure, and, sure. You know, I feel like they were kind of suffering, you know, with their own things with their parents. Cause you know, my grandfather, my mom's side, he didn't tell my mom about my, my grandmother passing. Wow. So my mom, you know, and told the family not to tell my mom. Hmm. So she found out about that and she was, she was really sad. I remember remembering how sad she was. <sighs> that she didn't know that her mom like my grandmother had cancer and that was when my mom stopped with the whole family on that side wow and um yeah so i mean we've reconnected though actually because like i found i became friends with my cousin on because of social media yeah and we reunited our moms awesome like a couple years ago my mom went back to japan after like 30 something years wow and yeah so we have a relationship with that family and they're coming again in october Dope. So that was cool. So yeah. So um, anyways, what ended up happening is, um, yeah, with that, I had a homie, um, like an old friend of mine who had um, Atheon. I don't know if you know Atheon Crockett. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. He came to my show because, like, we you were old friends, and um, like he came and he was like looking at my work and he was like, "Have you do you know Whoopi?" And then I was like, "No, I wish I knew Whoopi." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so my whole show was called Whoopi Taught Me. Oh. And, and it was about like the invisibility of like women of color and how she's done so much, and um, and how her shoe game kind of like um is a is a, is a window into looking into the feet other people's feet and other mm. people's paths so um and i just you know talked about her as a as a how she's like crossed the color barrier and a, and the barrier of sex and just says whoopee mm. and i read a lot of her books and i just love her philosophy and her the way that she's and i feel like a lot of us as people like want to just be seen as who we are for sure not as what you see on the outside for yeah. sure first and i felt like man she really did that yeah and but she's still not as revered as like robin williams you know who she was up and coming with on her uh, at the same time sure and other comedians um she's done so much yeah like it's insane yeah and i just thought she deserved that respect and i think there's a lot of women that are invisible mm. so anyways he was looking at my stuff and he was like have you like you haven't met her and i was like no like I would love to, and he was like, "Oh, somebody owes me a favor," and he just was like texting, like on his phone, and he didn't say anything. And then I was driving, and he was like, "Do you have a file of all your stuff?" And I was like, "Yeah," and he was like, "Send it to me." He was like, "Sherry Shepherd owes me a favor." Oh wow! And I was like, "Okay, that's dope." <laughs> and he gave it to Sherry. He sent my Dropbox to Sherry, and she showed Whoopi. Oh wow! And then another friend, Rio from um, Gypsy Sport, also showed Whoopi that same. She wore like one of his sweaters that same day. So the same day. Oh, wow. She, she got, got two eyes from two double ends. Oh, that's and crazy. Oh, wow. It was crazy. And then I was like taking my show down. And he was like, she got it. She like really likes your work. And like, I was like, what? I was screaming. I was like, he was like, yeah. Like, if you have another show that, you know, like I, I think she maybe was show on a go, you know, and I was like, wow, that'd be cool. Thing is, I haven't had another show since then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have, but like in others in another like a group show. Like I've been in a couple group shows, but yeah. um, yeah. And I was taking my show down, and I was talking to my friend Cameron. I don't know if you know Cam Obi. He's like a producer. He's, I know of Cam, but yeah. not, I don't know him. He's from Vegas, and right. he's like an incredible. Like he's mm. my my favorite male feminist. And we were just talking, and and I looked at my phone. And I was like, whoa, Whoopi started following me on Instagram. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, one of the best days of my life. <laughs> That's incredible. It was incredible. And and with that, like, you know, I just, um, it really was like such a light. And my parents were so happy for me. And I was happy and I felt like I finally had a thesis. I never really had a purpose to paint. I never, I would paint, but I never had a subject. Mm. I never had a thing. And then I finally developed a thing through my life like through yeah through the things that happened and i didn't realize that that's part of being an artist because mm. you see these young people being artists right and you think oh it's not happening to me when you're young you think it's not going to happen for you at all and i want to encourage people to know that that like let like trust the timing of your life for mm. sure you got to learn you got to have things happen to you and like let them and move forward and on and i learned that in that moment that mm. Yeah, I was, uh, I think, 31 at that time or 32. And that was when it was supposed to happen for me. I wasn't supposed to be an artist at 19 at UNLV. Sure. That wasn't my pathway, you know? And I knew how to market myself. I knew how to sell myself. I knew how to do all these things digitally. Like, I did everything myself, 
you know, I had friends, my friend Tierney helped me write. She's a brilliant writer. She helped me write, you know, my statement and I had a purpose and I had a reason and I knew what I was doing. Mm. And I think that's the only way to do art is like, what are you saying? Mm. For sure. Like, I don't want to be corny and making shit. I don't know what I'm, like I'm saying. For sure. And I knew exactly and I still know what I'm saying and I know I'm developing that, you know. And when I closed that door, when I opened that door for myself, my career started to really like take off as a stylist. It was actually really crazy. That's so crazy. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> but of course, it's like it's crazy, but of course it did. For sure. Like, <laughs> like, I, like for sure. You know, because but this time there was a little more light before that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yeah. the gallery just popped off, Whoopi started following. Yeah. Her. It's like Yeah. <laughs> and I also feel like painting came from such like this genuine and vulnerable place yeah. that mm-hmm. was really not about career or what I need to be or it and, and doing things for that purpose, like you said, like yeah. having a purpose. Absolutely. And taking action from that place. For sure. Is gonna everything's gonna generate from it, whether it's your art or it's being a stylist or the million other things that are gonna start growing from this seed. Absolutely. Um, in, in in your bloom, you know. Yeah. But I think that's just something like we we have to always remember is like the purpose of why you're doing why why you're in it. Yeah. You know, what are you really doing it for? Um, and it's just so backwards so much. Isn't that you know? the meaning of life, though? Like, finding mm. our meaning? Like, yeah. finding our own self-worth? Like, the the age-old question of who am I? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've had a lot of talks with, with friends of mine about this recently. And it's crazy because, like, it's so wild in talking about it. Like, I guess, like, in your teens and, like, early 20s, you're just trying to be down and find where the parties are and, like, be really cool and hip. And, like, have, like, squadrons. And then as you start getting older, you realize, like, how how it all kind of, like, separates. Like, you start, like, whether it's you start finding your identity more or whether it's you just, like, realize what, like, getting older is. Like, it really starts, that whole, like, the community of everybody around one another really doesn't exist. Yeah. It's like people are having their families, people are having their groups of friends, like life is going on, people are going through their careers and whatnot, but I really think one of the most beautiful things of life is being able to truly realize who you are. But I don't think that's ever a process that stops. Mm-mm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like... <clears throat> There's one thing to like find one's purpose, but I truly feel like pursuing mm. just the notion of that yeah. is the ultimate purpose, yeah, yeah. right? Like continuously like figuring it out. Yeah. Like there's no end. Like yeah. we we all have these fucking For goals real. and dreams and aspirations and like all these things, but like when we get there, there's always a what's next. Oh, yeah, always. you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really beautiful to see in your journey, like how it's all kind of really been in the pocket, but, like, not. You know what I'm saying? And how it's, like, been really retweaking and finding um, the values and also the 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 worth, not only career-wise, but, like, to self mm. as you've been going along. You know what I mean? And as it continues to go, it really becomes refined. You know what I'm saying? And so many people like look at these, look at life like, yo, I need to be popping now. Right. Yeah. Well, what the fuck does popping really mean? You feel me? Like, okay, cool. We have accolades. But like, 
finding oneself is a lifelong journey. Yeah. And I feel like if we're just open to figuring it out yeah. along the way while being honest with ourselves, right? I think that's a big, like, a very critical point. Oh, so critical. Right? But, like, being able to, like, search for self mm. is one of the most beautiful aspects of this existence we that's call crazy. life. You feel me? It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I had to find myself... I found myself in the bottom, mm. you know, and I never forget that. Likewise. I wanted to, I really wanted to kill myself. <sighs> I really did not want to live. <sighs> like, it was really crazy. I did not want to live. How'd you overcome that? Um, <laughs> it's really actually, um, I found this book on Amazon called Love Yourself Like You Mean It. Mm. And it's like really thin. And I don't know, I was just looking at like self-help and like suicide and i just i didn't have insurance i didn't have and i told i would i told my mom i was like i really like feel suicidal you know and like she didn't know how to deal with that yeah you know like she was like uh you know i love her you know it's just like a hard thing to hear your daughter say but i i really like i didn't i didn't want to be here um I found this book and it was called I Love Yourself Like You Mean It. And literally it was like this guy. I wish I remembered his name because I think it's a really great book and it's so simplified. And um, essentially he was he literally wanted to kill himself like he had the gun to his head. Mm -hmm. And he started to just say in the mirror because I was at the point where I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't like what I saw. Mm. I couldn't even really stare at myself for a long time. So I knew that my spirit wasn't right. And I, um, and it, literally in the book, all it says is that you look at himself in the mirror and say, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. And he would say it like 50 to 100 times a day, maybe. So I started to wake up and I started to say it every day. You say it out loud? Yeah, out loud. You have to say every manifestation, everything that you want, and everything that is an affirmation should always be out loud. Like, it has to be out loud. And I learned that too. Like I pray, I say everything out loud, like everything. And like, I talk to myself in my car, like on my trips, I would talk to myself. I would say, I love myself. Like I would come out here and I just kept doing it. Mm. I just kept saying, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. And I started to love myself. I love That's that. That's wild. <laughs> I fucking love I mean, that. Obviously, but like, yeah. not really though. It's yeah. like, it's just, it, it's crazy. That's incredible. That's, yeah, it's crazy. I felt a change. I did it for, for like a sure. month. Wow. Yeah, like I had to say it. For sure. And um, That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. I would suggest that book. Like, I mean, it's like Love yourself secret. like you mean it. Yeah, love yourself like you mean it. Love and it's by, I think his name is like Ravi something. Um, and it's very short and, um, man, that book changed my life. And like the woman who run with wolves changed my life, you know, um, is it love your life? Like love yourself, like your life depends on it. Yeah, that's it. I'm sorry. Love yourself. No, like your life depends it's on it. By love yourself. Like your life depends on it by, uh, Kamal Ravi. Kamal Ravi. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it's incredible. a cheap book too. Like, oh my god, the cover is crazy too. Yeah, the cover is super crazy. It's crazy. Look at wow. how many people like it and bought it though. It's like two thousand nine hundred seventy one customer reviews with literally four and a half star rating. It's amazing. Yeah. On Amazon. I, I just came across it online. That's incredible. Wow. So that's that helped start that. And then I started to, you know, change my way I ate. You know, I started eating more vegan, vegetarian. 
Um, and I, you know, my parents healed me. Like I realized like that is like the best therapy. Like, sorry, <laughs> I'm getting emotional. Um, is that unconditional immer- being immersed in people who no matter where you are in your life that um, love you. For sure. Like, I can make $130,000. I can make zero. I can borrow money from my mom and my dad. And my dad was cool. He, like, got me a ticket by myself to see Parliament Funkadelic. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> what up, Lenny? For New Year's. <laughs> cool ass Lenny. <laughs> what up, dude? Yeah, and he knew somebody in Parliament. He was like, I'm friends with somebody. And I was like, all right. You know, and he did. He was friends with one of them. But um, that was my, my first New Year's um, in Vegas by myself as I went to see Parliament by myself. And I, I, I've always been good with doing things by myself. I've, he dropped me off off the strip and I have no money. I like maybe 15 bucks. But um, like he, he um, just little things. For sure. Yeah. That's amazing. So, um, yeah, I have really supportive friends and family and um, just, yeah, things, things got better. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And um, my parents really healed me. Yeah, they really healed me. And I love them. So I still I still live with my mom and dad. And I'm 34. And I moved home when I was like, you know, maybe like just going to turn 31, mm-hmm. maybe. And um, yeah, I I love it. And I'm not ashamed to say it. For sure. I, yeah, 100%. I love Yeah. And I don't feel ashamed about it. And. I, um, you know, I am getting really busy out here and I do need to move. Um, I'm sorry for sniffing in the microphone. It's all juicy and gross. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let him know. <laughs> but, um, but in that, like I was able to separate myself from money and my worth and I had the biggest power, <sighs> which was to be able to say no. Because I was already broke anyways. Like, I'm still, you know, I'm, st- I'm I, I do cool stuff. I do, I love everything I do now. Yeah. But it's not like, um, you know, I'm not sitting pretty, I'm not there, you know, I'm still working at it. And I'm For not sure. like in a place where I'm like super financially stable or like, you know, working with somebody, like, you know, I, I, I'm freelance and, you know, money comes and goes. Sporadic. And it's sporadic. Yeah. And I know that one day it will, it will be, I will be in a place where it will be okay. For like sure. where I'll be able to do that. But I always will split myself. Like I love Vegas. You know, I really realized that I've never felt, knew what home felt like. Cause I never knew what home was. Like I always, we always moved a lot. I never felt like I belonged in Alaska. I never felt like, you know, Oakland feels like home, but I can't make a career, like a living there um, until, you know, like, I mean, Never like really felt like LA was, mm-hmm. um, but I realized I'm not a person. I'm not. I I realized I'm not. I don't have to live in one home to be home. Mm. Like I can compartmentalize my life. Yeah. And that why would why why not expose a new perspective on living with gentrification and living small in different places? And that's my dream. I would love to have a room in Oakland and a room here and a room in Las Vegas and pay two thousand. For all three. I love that, yeah. For sure. I love that. Yeah, right? Because you could pay 2000 easily out here for your own apartment. Easy. 
right? But you could spend eight hundred for a room there, six hundred here, and whatever there. Yeah, that's like what I imagine. You know, I mean, unless I could become, you know, you better say it out loud. You feel me? Yeah, it's, it's coming I mean? soon. Like, We're gonna talk to you like three months from now. You better be like, look, I got a spot in <laughs> West <laughs> Oakland. I got a, a little cutty spot in Santa Monica. It's actually really nice. And then I got a little jump off of my parents. You know right. what? I was going to get a spot away from my parents, but I figured why not have a room with my parents still? Mm-hmm. So we out here just dug in. So we did it. So we did it. Mama! Yeah. <laughs> Mama made it. For real. So, yeah. Like, I, I look at, like, living in life in a different way now. Mm. And I like the way that feels. Awesome. Yeah. So... I've been work. I've been working. I I've done four covers in the past year. Incredible. Yeah. Let me clap. <laughs> Thank you. I did Elizabeth Olsen for Hunger was my first with Nadia Lee Cohen. Who I did Gilligan had you know I styled Gilligan for. I did all the ass out suits with mm. Drama and Rocky. Incredible. I didn't style Drama and Rocky and Juicy. I did all the girls. Me and my mom did that together. It was awesome. all modeled off my butt. Um, hey. <laughs> just saying. Um, only on Mama We Made It will you know that fact. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, and yeah, I work with her. She's so, so incredible. And um, my I got my first cover. You know, I did Elizabeth Olsen for Hunger. After that, um, Chloe and Hallie for Wonderland. And it awesome. turned into double cover. Awesome. With Dan Regan. And then after that, I got another cover. I did Paris Hilton for Numero, Germany. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then my last cover was Beat. For, uh, I saw Kelsey Lou for Beat. The Beat Lit. Juice. Yeah, which That's is a dope. European magazine. So, yeah, I was like to say that there's no fashion in LA, like I think that's bullshit. Yeah. Well, obviously, <laughs> you know what I'm you got the you got the credentials to prove it. Thank you, thank you. And you know, one thing is like, LA is a production city. You mm-hmm. can make anything happen here. You For just sure. have to be imaginative. There's you can make anything happen, fucking anywhere. Anywhere. You can be in fucking Montana, yeah. Wyoming, yeah, North yeah. fucking Dakota. You feel me? I feel like it's like whatever people want. All this shit's all relative. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I really. fuck all that, like, only one area, this, that, and the other. Like, okay, cool. Like, that's where way more people congregate to do so. Right. But there's no saying that it can't be done any fucking where. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of young people need to know, just like what you were saying earlier, Nush, about if kids could go on a trip and see, like, the world. For know? sure. Like, right, like... There's possibilities everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. There are people doing so much dope shit all across this country and For you're sure. not sequestered too. I think I do think that you should go I do think that it is beneficial to come to a big city and For sure. and like, you know, play the game. But For you can sure. go back. Yeah. You know, I've done work in Vegas now and I hope to do more work in Vegas. You know, I went going back, I became more valuable. Mm. But I didn't see that at the time because I was trying to find work there and I didn't have the experience. It's crazy. Like, scarcity determines value. You feel me? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a trip. Crazy. Yeah. But you have to feel... This is my thing. Like, you have to feel valuable yourself. That's where I think a lot of people get it fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you do not understand your value and if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and believe that you're valuable then how the fuck are you going to do it for anybody else Absolutely. it's just like one of those things where like people say like how can you love somebody else 
before you love yourself. Oh, RuPaul says that all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hear that everywhere, but it's so true. Like, how can I love you if I don't love myself? Oh, it's true. And don't ever, like, love nobody that don't love themselves. Yeah. Like, run. For yeah. real. Whoopi has a book. If somebody says you complete me, run. You shouldn't. I shouldn't complete you. Mm. You should be complete first, and I should be complete. You know, you feel me? Yeah, you're, the, yeah. you're the whipped cream on my chocolate. No. <laughs> but that and that relationship, though, <laughs> you know, <laughs> See, what it do? That's Ooh. not some freak shit. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm an but, but that's that's real. That that mm. relationship with yourself is is real. It extends to all types of relationships, sure. whether it's with a person, whether it's your career. Whatever is outward, you got to look inward first. It's it's real. Absolutely. That's what I'm working on now. I mean, Ben, you yeah. you, you have to constantly, you constantly work, work on it. You constantly work on it. Constantly, like, constantly. I hit, I've hit yes. rock bottom, bounce back in the strongest way, right? But that still doesn't mean in the interim. Like, I've never gotten anywhere close to what that was before. But, like, there are also times where, you're like, things are super high. And then there's also times where I'm just honest with myself and being like, I've been repeating the same thing for the last month or two. Yeah. Like, where's yeah. my own progress? Right. right. You feel me? Where's my own growth? Oh, shit, I got to stop myself now. You know what I'm saying? But the one thing that I truly feel like has helped me the most is the concept of the mirror. Mm. You feel me? The only, if, if the only person we had to impress was our reflection in the mirror, let that be your guide. Yeah. Because we can literally... It, it kind of has something to do with like, you know, when they, when they say like, be, be really careful of like speaking about the things that you're thinking about doing or whatever, because you're kind of like affirming it. Yeah. There's like the, the other side to that affirmation in that I could tell so many cats like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. If I don't believe it, but they do, like, what the fuck good is it that somebody's getting hyped off of the bullshit that I'm feeding them? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? What benefit does it do to me? Like, oh, shit. Got to buy that one. And they're like, oh, shit. He's doing this and that. This dude's. But, like, if you literally said that to yourself in, in front of a mirror, you'd be like, oh, you're you lying sack of shit. What the yeah. fuck are you really talking yeah. about? It, yeah. Like, um, who the fuck is anybody else but yourself? You feel me? Like, yeah. what the fuck does that matter? Like, I, I, and... I feel like I've gotten, I'm just like brutally honest to this point because like I feel like if you love people, if you love yourself and if you love those around you, you, you have to give the honest truth. It's not to say that you, what you're saying is right or wrong, but you have to be able to just give you to the people around you. It's, Man. it's so true. Like the truth may hurt, but the truth is is real. Like so many people I come across. You can't give yourself to anyone else. Yeah. You, you truly can't. Yeah. For real. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like talking to cats and like I'm just being me and just caring about them and giving my perspective. Right. And it's just like my like life changing perspective for some cats. And I'm like, bro, like how the fuck have your closest homies not told you this yeah. shit? Yeah, exactly. How the fuck the, the, those that love you day in, day out, like we've met, we have a relationship, great energy, and we're talking like just life right now. How the fuck have those in your circle have not heard this shit? Yeah. No, or like true. told you this shit or kept it one trillion with you. Like, how is this something new? It baffles me sometimes. But absolutely, that's the beauty of just like being, you know, wherever somebody is in their lives. And, you know, we all reach these points at different periods and feel, you know, 
like we've accomplished something or we're growing or all these different things at so many different periods in our lives. That's what makes us unique. Yeah. And that's the beauty of being a human being. One of the biggest things, I'm going on a fucking rant tangent here. No, go here, off, yeah. But one of the biggest things that I feel like in all of these pursuits of ours, and I've said this a bunch of times, right. that we tend to forget is that the one and the strongest commonality amongst all of us, I don't give a fuck what your pursuit is, is that we're human beings. Absolutely, yeah. And we all tend to forget the fuck out of that. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we are all human beings. We all hurt the same. We all love. We all go through life. We all have been marked by our experiences. You know what yeah. I'm saying? We all have been affected by certain things, whether it's within our control or without, like, you yeah. know, outside of it. But we're all humans. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We all have stories. Behind every smile, there is a story. Mm -hmm. You feel me? Like, the more vulnerable and open and honest we can be with one another, the further we'll grow together. 100%. And yeah. with that, too, like, and to your point, I think it's important to, to heal. Yeah. And, Facts. And give yourself that opportunity and be around people that are going to help that, like your parents. For sure. Right. Um, because we, the most important, man. We, we we go through so mm -hmm. much, so much trauma just <clears throat> as as people. Like we just do, yeah. And like I mean, look, that you can see a therapist and 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 go through that too. Is I mean that that's I I encourage everyone to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like seeing your doctor for your physical. You know. Yeah. Well, you should, but I think like giving yourself the opportunity to heal and accept that like. You have to heal. Mm -hmm. You know, healing is a part of all this. It's not like, all right, I'm good, and all of a sudden I love myself. Right. Even though I feel like, I like after the month of saying it, it's great. It's it's amazing, but yeah. like I think you have to be in a, a state of mind too to heal. Yeah. And accept like that reality. Exactly. Um, and work towards that, and be vulnerable enough to say like. I'm I'm fucked up. Yeah, for real. Like, I'm fucked up. It was so freeing the moment I was able to be like, bro, I'm just fucking lost right now. Yeah, no, for real. It, like yeah, I I thought it'd be better. like, but I literally was like, <sighs> oh, fuck. freedom. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, no, for real. My dad always says it's a lot more work to lie than it is to tell the truth. It really is for real. And, and you become an actor. And, I and imagine if motherfuckers just understood that it's okay. Like, there's so yeah. many times with people that, like, I've just been open about my feelings and such. And, like, in response, I get, bro, me too. I, really? Bro, me too. Here's where. Like, we're all living these, like, surface. Yeah. yeah. Like, everything's great, homie. Like, everybody's all good. We're all in the past. How's life? Oh, it's fucking incredible. Like, we, yeah. every, every day is amazing. Sometimes it's not. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there. I feel like it's just so important to understand that there's a lot of emotionally inept and unavailable people. For sure. We're not taught emotional intelligence. No. Um, I think that the arts and expression and like all of that are super key to a practice of emotional intelligence. Um, a lot of people don't know how to express themselves. So right. they wait for someone else to say, it, and then they're like, yeah, 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 me too. Yeah. Or they surround themselves around a bunch of people who are just like them because it's a comfort zone. For sure. When 
they can go out of their comfort zone. And, and let me say this. If you are, if you meet somebody like, and you know, like any of us who are emotional people, right. That I feel like this table would be, our, yeah. we're all pretty for sure. forthright for sure. And you meet one person like, like that would say the truth to you. And that really jars you in comparison to the, what you've been experiencing in your life. You need to change your fucking life for sure. Your life, ain't, your life ain't right. Yeah, for sure. And that's a sign. Absolutely. And it, you shouldn't be wowed by hearing that. And right. if you are wowed by hearing positivity, um, re- affirmations and things that you, you, in the way that you should believe in yourself, your life ain't right. There's adjustments that need to be made. There need to be adjustments need to be made and you need to do some work. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people don't want to do the work. For sure. You can't be lazy through this. No. You cannot. It's, it's emotional warfare. For sure. You know, you can't be lazy. You know, lazy is like you have to cry. You have to feel beat down. You have to do the work. You have to admit. You have to take responsibility. For sure. You know, people. a lot of people want to blame everybody else or blame Absolutely. their parents. Yeah. You know, one thing I love about my mom and dad is that, you know, they, they really vied for their parents' attention. They had their own issues with their parents. But, and it wasn't, you know, well, I'm not saying my parents were perfect. But, you know, they, they, um, it didn't necessarily stop them from, you know, it didn't stop them from showing us what, emo- what, what love was. Yeah, for sure. You know, like they wanted to be something different than what they had got. Right. And they made, the, they did that. You can make a decision to be whoever the fuck you want to be. Incredible. You can be anybody. For sure. That's you can true. be anything. That's true. And you have to just make the decision to do it. And it takes time. It does take time. You feel me? And like, that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's work. Yeah. You know, I could sit and be sad. It's easy to stay sad. Yeah. And it's easy to keep running. It's easy to keep running. For sure. It's easy to be dead. Well, not for my eyes. My eyes will be out of breath right now. Chunky <laughs> as a motherfucker. You did. Yeah, for real. But, um, yeah. It's... It's work, but that's incredible. Yeah, this has been incredible. This has been yeah. absolutely yeah. fucking beautiful. Thank, thank you for just coming on here and, and bearing your soul for real. <laughs> for real. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Like, you know I'm saying? No, this is what, this is what we live for with this. Yeah, you know, this this is. This I is feel it. like I've been in a perpetual hug right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> for real, for real. But not one of those side ones. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Uh, like, you feel me? <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, for real. Thank you guys. No, th- this has been re- really amazing. And um, yeah, I think I think your story is super inspiring. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I think it, it's so great to be able to talk to people like you that share this side that are really willing to go there for sure. And there is a very scary place. Mm. I mean, coming on here and and telling your story like this versus the moment where in the MySpace days where you put up the poem. I mean, the blog days and mm-hmm. you're like, all right, I'm going to live on the surface all the way to coming to this point. Yeah. For sure. It's a massive arc, you know? Yeah. It's truly inspiring. Thank yeah. you for, thank you well, for coming on here. For real. It means a lot. And I thank you guys for being so available and for having this. And Hell yeah. This. And like, I don't know, storytelling and the artist storytelling. I was talking to my friend Samantha about it and she was like, the artist storytelling is so important. And, and you know, she thought what you guys were doing was really cool. And I thought about that too. Like how many times do we flip? through and see just a percentage of the story yeah you know and i'm honored that i'm able you guys gave me the platform to just that you wanted to hear my story and then i could just tell it and like as 
detailful as possible. And we're honored that so you, you, you. you allowed <laughs> us yeah. to be able to do that. You feel me? Absolutely. And I cannot wait for your continued blossoming. Oh, oh man. You feel me? Thank like, you guys. can't wait to have <laughs> you back on. For oh, real. Man, I would love yeah, to. It's going to be yeah. fucking incredible. Thank you. I love yeah. that. I appreciate you. I appreciate this has been this. phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Where can people find you if they want to? Um, yeah. So my website is a million Kashiro, like A M E L I A N K A S H I R O. I'm like, that's my app. My Instagram. Awesome. I don't really use Twitter. I'm like really on, not on Facebook, but I feel like, um, and you can email me off my, my like either. Awesome. All my emails are on there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and like you can always come to Sisters with Invoices, mm. which we're going to do monthly. There we go. Monthly. Sisters with Invoices. Yeah. So yeah, talking about it. the struggle. I, I share my story. I shared my story and, um, last night and I want to be vulnerable about that because if you see, I mean, I have more stories than that. Like, I just want, I, we don't have eight hours, you know, but like, there are a lot of people that have stories like, you know, that are on the journeys for sure in Absolutely. that space and that are unheard and that, man, it's so dysfunctional and it's abusive and it's crazy and you don't know what people are going through. And I, I always believe in the human first mm-hmm. and I'm just what I'm trying to push is like to dissolve toxicity and put a human first mentality in the workplace and just give people tools and like, I don't know everything. And that's why I'm starting it because I'm curious, Mm. you know, and I find that there's a disjointedness. There's a disconnect between freelancers. There's a competitiveness. Like I should have more stylist friends, you know, but it's, it's, you know, like I want to, we should be friends for sure. All of us out here. We're just all, we're so connected in LA and I think that's a problem in LA and I want to change that. I love Mm -hmm. that. You know that we we should band together and um, sisters. And I have I have no doubt that you will. <laughs> Thank you, you for real. Thank you. Because you said it out loud, and I, we we all know we all what know. happens when you say shit out loud. <laughs> you it's feel me? Let's be honest. It's real. Yeah. It's say real. it out loud. Hell yeah. Say it and proud. Don't, and don't say it if you don't mean it. Well, if you don't mean to take it back because yeah. I'll be like wait 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 <laughs> <laughs> and we yeah. got it recorded you yeah. feel me in case you missed it in that's case. what it is yes. hit rewind <laughs> yeah absolutely I love that so yeah thank you guys yeah, thank no, you thank you. this has been, been amazing fucking beautiful thank you I appreciate you <laughs> and we out y'all peace yeah bye aww <laughs>